Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. Join your hosts as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things kings of war. Welcome to Counts Judge. I'm Elliot Marsh. And I'm Corey Reynolds. And I am Jeremy Duvall. Welcome. Super excited today to have fresh from the UK RC member Elliot, along with the master of Crossroads, Corey, to talk a little Twilight Kin. So I'm really excited to have you guys both on the show today. How are you doing? Yeah, really well. Thank you. Good. Thanks for having us. If you guys have been listening, Twilight Kin have been a love of mine for a long time. So I'm really excited to get these two luminaries on the, the show today to talk about the new Twilight Kin army. So as the army reviews go, you know, each of us countercharge hosts has a little different style of army review we like to do. I like to more talk a little bit about the army through the lens of list building. So thinking about what are our infantry, what are our unlocks, what are the good hammers, what are good characters, what are some themes and archetypes you might think about when you're building Twilight Kin armies. And then we'll look at, you know, stats and et cetera, all that stuff when applicable. But try to give you an idea. My hope is after you do the army review, you'll not just know all the stats of everything in the list. We can all look on the companion for that. But you'll maybe have a, a compass or some waypoints on your map on how to build a Twilight Kin list for whatever sort of play type or style you're looking for. Uh, but before we get into that, let's do a quick hobby review checkup. Let's start with you, Corey. I know not too long ago now you had Crossroads, but what I know that probably takes a lot of your hobby time, but what have you been up to? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. The decompress from Crossroads is pretty significant. So we're about a month out after Crossroads. So I'm just now starting to get back into doing some hobbying stuff. So uh, we had 96 people at Crossroads. So pretty huge turnout. Uh, great time good event so i was pretty happy with how everything ran so now i'm just starting to get back into uh painting up some some stuff with my uh, dragon empire army and just waiting on my twilight kin mega army pieces to arrive so i can start working on those but i am working on bases for the uh for the twilight kin now so i've got that rolling i know if you hadn't seen Corey has a really beautiful well-painted dragon empire army right that you've used in the past for twilight kin are you now that's correct be, are you going to be ma- making a mantic one now is that the plan oh yeah so I've, I've i love the models and i was like okay i've really been really waiting to see what is going to be my first mantic army and so this is this is definitely going to be the one so i'm looking forward to that i like i like the range i think it'll be a, a good starting point to to really get a mantic army out there and on the table yeah, I think a lot of people are, are, are looking at that, right? I think the new hotness is always the new hotness, but also I think people are looking for a way to get that first Mantic army. And the Twilight Kin is like a good range where top to bottom, maybe there's elements of it that you don't love. But as far as like a complete line from Mantic, as far as a certain level of quality, I think this one really is is hit the ball out of the park as a sort of consistent look overall. Agreed, and kind of t- it ties in really well with the Night Stalker range, so everything is very cohesive. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and, uh, to run, taking it and running with it. Well, what about you, Elliot? Did you go to Cl- Clash UK? 
did. It was brilliant. So 150 or so players yeah, um, awesome. in one room. It was a fantastic weekend and a real a real showcase of what Kings of War can be. A proper tournament, you know, on on par with Big Fortica and, and Warhammer Fantasy events. So it was a, a brilliant weekend all around. I had a very uh, unusual experience with that one. That I took an army that was already fully painted, and so I didn't have the last minute panic of can I get it painted in time. Um, so I, d- I didn't know what I was doing myself for the, the two weeks prior to it. I was just. It's like the world was spinning backwards. You're like, I'm not painting till two o'clock in the morning before the tournament. It was really odd. That's unreal. That doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, it was. It was just I, I had my halflings from from the year before, and it was like actually I'm really enjoying this list. I want to take them again, and I was kind of looking good. Something's wrong. I've forgotten something. I must have forgotten something. You know, a mistake. But yeah, it was it was quite calm and nice. But I'm making up for it now because I'm now trying to paint an entire Twilight King list in time for um, January. We'll see how that goes. By the time you guys are listening to this episode, you've already heard the Scrying Gems episode about our new sort of thoughts on Clash of Kings. Yeah. And the Halflings are looking pretty good. I think that's going to be absolutely really good faction. They got some good bumps, no doubt. Yeah, it's a bit awkward, really. We gave them loads of bumps, and then um, they went and won Clash of Kings. Yeah, no joke. (laughs) Although, you can't be mad, because the list that won Clash of Kings was like the, the epitome of... We won a ba- the, the brief. We I remember getting the brief from Ronnie saying that there must be a really balanced army that can use all the different unit types and and no one thing should stand above the other. I, I just like sort of wet with joy when I saw the list that won Clash of Kings because it was it wasn't spammy, it wasn't stupid, it was just halflings doing what halflings do and everything kind of working together. It was it was a, a beautiful sight to behold. That was a nice thing. It didn't lean into any kind of spamming of any type of overpowered unit not that there's a overpowered ton of overpowered units to lean into in halflings but it was fairly well balanced and pretty diverse which is what you like to see and that list has been kind of a slow burn i think in general just because people had to get the models they had to paint them up and then also i think it is a list right like you guys mentioned that works best in synergy and sometimes those lists take a little time in the incubation chamber to fully manifest right before they get on the table and are really good. Usually when people first take a look at a list, they're trying to find what's the abuse. What can I abuse, you know, (laughs) in the list? And not so much are some people, right? Not so much. I think all of us are more sort of combined arm style players, I would say. So I think that's probably why we love Twilight Kin, right? Well, I think that's exactly what Twilight Kin's going to be, right? It's going to be similar where you got to play into the synergies and there's a lot of different things that will combo up well. And you can play different styles and you can play different builds and they'll all be competitive. You just have to figure out how the pieces work together. Yeah, so uh, my hobby update, I've been, uh, you know, I'm working on my bases too. I think getting your base theme and your bases down is a good first step to sort of solidifying in your mind the theme of how you want your army to look. So along with you, Corey, I've been working on my Twilight Kin bases and my theme. I've, I've also started to work on, I'm about almost done with my two troops of phantoms, which we'll talk about in the list review, but trying to paint some of those elements that are the Night Stalker elements that were out while we're waiting patiently for the postman, for Ronnie to come in the Concord and deliver us our Twilight Kin army boxes. Yeah, and your bases look hot, Jeremy. I love the theme that you've got. They look really good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm pushing it. I'm trying to push it to the limit. Limit! Going for that Mediterranean sort of North Africa, desert east slash Oceanside sort of feel. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. And just super excited about the army. So I'm really excited we get together today and to talk about it. This is Luke Fraser, the pride of Canada and shame of the United States. And you are listening to Countercharge. So one of the first things I like to do on an army review is sort of, and you, and you kind of let us right into it, Corey. So I'll start with you first. It's we're stuck in an elevator, right? So give me your elevator pitch on 
why should someone play Twilight Kid? Yeah, like I said earlier, I do think there is a lot of synergy in this list, and it really does lean itself to a combined arms style list where you want a disparate types of units in your list. Um, There's definitely some things that you could spam in the list with impalers or weavers and lightning bolt, but I don't think that's necessarily the way to get the most out of the list and so if you if you're into building an entire army of different things that work well together i think that's the twilight kid list in a nutshell what about you elliot does anything Corey sort of say resonate with you what's what's your elevator pitch well i would add is one of the unique things i really pull out from twilight kid is infantry that is actually really effective and really powerful and the list is built around Mm -hmm. infantry you know so quite often you, you look at the units that people pull out of so many armies is the large infantry horde, the the cavalry, all the stuff's there, but it's kind of, oh, they're the nice-to-haves, but actually these are your big you know, your big hitters. Whereas that's not the case in Twilight Kid. It's that actually your, your core of your army, I mean, you've got the Impalers, but they're just one of you know, some genuinely really use powerful choices. Yeah, I think that you guys are both are hitting on some good points, right? Which is there's lots of different ways you can approach Twilight Kin, and I think there's a reason why you see a lot of people who are getting into the list have different uh, lists themselves, or if you spent some time on the list with in the Manta Companion, I think I have like 17, 20 different lists saved, and there's like the Mutants variant, the Weaver variant, the the Void Lurker variant, you know, all these little kind of different uh, ways you could take the list. So if you're, I think it's a good army, like you guys said, if you want some variety, if you want some how do I balance my infantry versus my unlocks? I mean, I think with this this list, I think one of the narratives that comes up is going to be what core do I want to take so I can get the unlocks? I don't know how you guys have been in your early list building, but unlocks are important, right? Because there's so much good stuff you want to take with unlocks. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Some of the initial, maybe the sky falling jump reactions to Twilight Kid when people first saw the list hadn't really twigged that yet. So you saw a lot of people say, oh my God, all these toys are incredible. You know, this is going to be the most overpowered thing in the world. And it's like, yes, but you've actually got to build them into a list. And so you can't get everything. You can't get them all. And because of the how the list synergizes and plays together, you are, it's not that you need certain things together, but actually if you just try and throw everything at the wall with Twilight King, I don't think it's going to work. So the, there's more than any other King's Army I've played for a long time, the list building stage is really important That's why I like kind of trying to find that special source of what what is the perfect combination of unlocks and then all the support pieces to go with it. And as you say, it's, it's a really fun army actually for sitting and playing and tweaking around and then actually just throwing it all out and starting again and thinking, oh, actually, I want to build from here now or I want to start from, from this, this angle and this approach. This has been probably the most fun I've had just doing list building because you can do so many different things with the army. And so the the exercises and just going through the different iterations, that's it, actually been super fun. Like you said, Elliot, with a lot of the, the doom and gloom sky is falling as some of the toys that are out there, going through the different iterations of list, those are the things that I keep finding myself pulling back on. <laughs> maybe Maybe cutting them here or there because the core of the army is necessary. And really, when you're talking competitive lists, they're so much better. My first couple of games was, let me get the flash, let me get the toys, and I got smoked. And I was like, okay, wait a minute, okay, so let's slow down, Jeremy, let's take a breath. Do we really need, you know, uh, this massive lightning bolt army's not work? You know, some of the stuff that you would think on paper would work, once you actually play them in a game, you realize that for the army to function, you really do need those synergies, because Impalers have defense six, right? But in general, the army is still an elf army. 
It has elements to increase its survivability, but you still can't give up units for nothing because your stuff is expensive. So let's talk about first, let's look at the regular, I hate to say vanilla because it's also exciting, right? Lots of really flavorful units. But let's first take a look at our regular infantry choices. I think when I'm looking at sort of our three infantry choices and then the three heavy infantry choices, I think of kind of our our, our core infantry, right, where we have fleet wardens, void walkers, to a lesser extent, reapers. And then our sort of special heavy infantry, which are like our wranglers, our mutants, you know, those are sort of, I think, a little bit more like the specialized stuff. So let's start with the the fleet wardens versus voidwalker sort of look at looking at both of these. Um, so before we get into talking about them, the, when we look at the fleet wardens, they are our spears option. So these guys, you can get in a troop, a regiment or a horde. You can give them Blood Hex, which is our once a game for the following turn. We get an extra pip of defense. And then we can up the upgrade these guys in Nerve by uh, one to Waver and one to Route. 95, 145, and 245. So as with any Elf Horde of Infantry, they are expensive. But for that, you get Crushing Strength 1, which is nice, right, to have on a Horde. You get Elite and you get Phalanx. Voidwalkers, on the other hand, are a little interesting. They're a little cheaper, right? 80, 120, and 200. But you can get these guys in Snare. You can also give them Blood Hex, and you can increase their melee to 3-plus with Reavers of the Middle Sea. But if you do all that, you get very close and sometimes over, depending on if you give in an item, 300-point Horde. Let's start with you, Corey. What are your thoughts sort of on the Fleet Wardens versus Voidwalkers? So it's interesting because this is kind of our first stab at seeing units that are really customizable, right? So you have the Veterans Upgrade and Blood Hex for both of the units, and then you have Snare Nets and Reavers of the Middle Sea, different ways to customize the units in and of themselves. So I think that's a, that's a theme that we're going to start seeing with more and more of the uh, Army releases, and I really like it because it lets you gear them up towards a, a specific use case in the Army itself. As far as comparing them, I like them both. <laughs> I think they're both really good. And I really like them both in regiment sizes, which is something you can't often say for standard foot yeah. infantry, right? Is that the infantry um, regiments tend to be the weaker weaker choice or something that people tend to throw out. But I love the price point. I think the price points are good for both of them at the regiment level. The upgrades are reasonably priced too. I mean, I would always go with the veterans of the Celestial War on a regiment of the Fleet Wardens. Blood Hex is super cheap for five points. Um, same thing, the Snare Nets on a regiment of uh, Corsairs is also super cheap of the Voidwalkers. So it's, uh, I, I like that. And the Horde options I think there's a place for those too because you can tool them up. And like you said, if you want to lean into it with magic items, I think you do actually get some bang for your buck there. But you just have to you have to build your list around that and considering uh, what you want to do with that with that uh, particular expensive unit now. Yeah, it's it's such an unusual situation where you your standard infantry, I think, are some of the best units in the list. I absolutely love the Fleet Wardens. I like them both, but the Fleet Wardens really jump out to me. So my old Twilight Killing list in the old world uh, never, ever existed without a horde of Elf Spears with the Brewer Strength. And that was like the surprise hammer to a lot of people in my list. Uh, and, and these come now built in, plus more nerve, uh, plus the ability to go to Defense 5 for one turn. If you feel so obliged, you can put an item on them. But actually, I think at, at 265 points, it's probably enough. They don't really need any more than that. 
And they're pl- and they're plenty good enough without an item on them too, right? These to me, I mean, I started off running one hard of the fleet wardens and a hard of the impalers. I've actually started dropping the impalers just because these are just as defensible and just as good and just as killy uh, and benefit from rally and all the other stuff going on in the list. That's right. It's funny that you say these guys match up with your with your old unit of spearmen because that's kind of how I use the Void Walkers too. Is that I used to have the uh, the Blade Dancer neophytes, and my list is like a horde of those is still pretty choppy with the hammer on them. I, I agree with you completely by saying that. Well, I love that they're an infantry regiment that that works at regiment level and hard level. You know that I actually think for the Void Walkers at regiment and the Fleet Wardens at hard. Again, I can't I can't find the perfect combination yet. Or I don't think I have found it, and. Um, that I actually really enjoy, that I'm playing around with them. All the different upgrades, the problem will be that more of in the game. I think not quite so much as you're seeing here. I think what we were really trying to get across is these are immortal old warriors. So that, that ability to kind of chop and change and build them is to really represent that these are these are warriors that have been around a long time, they've seen a lot of things, and, and there is no uniform army in the Twilight King. They're, they're kind of the ragtag pirate force, so you can build them kind of to be be how you want them to be in your headcanon. You know, one of the coolest things out of the new Clash book, and I'm really excited for everyone to see, is just the richness and depth of the Twilight Kin lore. It is no longer like a couple paragraphs. It is pages of really interesting stories and the whole development deeper into the void and the, the concepts of the nonlinear nature of time and making a sense that there could be members in this army that are from any time and space. And it's very cool. So I think that the the army creation very much and resonates with the the theme of the army story-wise, which I think is really cool. You guys bring up some great points. The regiment of fleet wardens at 145 points plus a blood hex and uh, veterans of the celestial war that you know that gets them to 155. Uh, 155 for a 1517 pre-rallied because that's another thing we got to talk about when we talk about the corsair keyword is that we have two ways to rally this right we have the void captain on foot which is rally rally one for corsair units and then the regiment of impalers in the formation can also rally corsair so there is an ability to get rally two on these guys rally one pretty easily rally two if you also want to take that formation but then all of a sudden you're talking 1618 or 1719 regiments of spears that's pretty pretty survivable that's legit right yeah it's a good job there's not a planar operation in there you know with radians of life and heal seven. <laughs> oh yeah good thing exactly. yeah <laughs> oh man we'll, we'll get to the planar man that thing is crazy i've noticed in some of my list building I love the Corsairs. They tend to enter my list more often, the variation of list design, when I'm going just for the I need cheap unlocks. So I tend to they tend to fit in there maybe with just at the 120 points or 120 points with the ensnare blood hex, but not so much. What do we think about the Reavers of the Middle Sea, the bonus, the three plus in the regiment? Is that something maybe we want in the horde? Or where do you guys think about that upgrade? I think it's hard to justify taking on a 12 attack regiment, the melee three, right? Uh, but in a horde, I think, yes, if you really want that horde to be able to spit out some damage, um, the melee three with elites, I, I really like the uh, the horde with the hammer measured force on there. So that, that can really push out some damage, especially with its elite and vicious. I think that's pretty tasty. <laughs> Yeah, and these guys are Corsair units, right? So with the Navigator, they're affected by her Vicious and Melee aura. 
I know Elliot has some feelings about Hammer of Measured Force. We've heard it on we've heard it on the show before. I like my opponents taking it. <laughs> I, I've I've advocated it many times. <laughs> I have to concede this is one of the edge cases where actually it's a very very good item. It's good, right? It's that's what I'm trying to get it. I think it's good with, with this unit. There's not many times I would say it's a good good choice, but actually here, it, it, you know, with elite and vicious, it's just very very good. You just get so many hits. You do. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just, it's so consistent. You know, when you're up 25 attacks, the Lincoln Vicious and always damaging a falls, that ability to go in and say, well, I know I'm going to do X amount of damage every time. Very, very reliable. Yeah, the only issue I had with this in playtesting is that I took it, the Horde of Voidwalkers, I took it with Ensnare Nets, I took it with Blood Hex, I took it with Reavers of the Middle Sea, and I took it with Hammer. So I think it's upwards of close to 300 points. Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah. Depending on the scenario, more often than not, my opponent would just go nowhere near it, which I guess is could be okay and help you win scenario, but it is a lot of points that you have. It's speed six, right? Which is better than some infantry, but it's still a lot of points you have in a sort of quasi-stationary footprint. So when when you kind of get up to those points, you're then starting to see some of the issues with Twilight can unlocks and and expense in general that it's very easy to get a lot of their units expensive fast. So if you're going to be spending that amount of points on a unit, you've you've got to have a good reason for it. I'm not saying it's a bad unit, but you've got to be building the rest of your list around either delivering that, you know, 300-point unit, or saying, well, this is the one thing you're going to have to kill at some point because it's going to be holding, well, a token now because it can't hold multiple tokens, Um, or an objective role will be, you know, sat in the middle of Dominate. So I don't think any units in Twilight King can ever be throwaway. You need to have a plan for what that unit is going to do. Or keep it cheap and cheerful and have lots of them. Um, yeah, and you said it because I think the theme of the Twilight Kin list is, okay, you have all these toys. How do you deliver them? Yeah, that's correct. Taking the right tools to deliver these units where they need to go. I think that's going to be key because they're not fast, right? That's one of the, I guess, the the weaknesses of the Twilight Kin list is that it is a slower army, even though everything is speed five, speed six. Tell my dwarves that. It's not that slow, but there's not a ton of... Alpha Strike units in the army. So I think that's something that you have to consider. You could take a horde of fleet wardens, right? With blood hex, veterans, brew of sharpness, right? So all of a sudden it's a true elf. 30 attacks on threes with crushing one and elite and vicious. But again, that that unit's 310 points. So it's just one of the things where you can do it, but I think you can't take that unit and inherent of it's just going to operate by itself. I think you got to take that unit within a... Uh, an overall you really in this list i think you really got to think about what is what is my overall game plan you can't just be like these are my hammers and these are this you really have to think about how do all these how are all these moving pieces going to work together and while all the points for all the the little upgrades here and there they look cheap by themselves but like elliot said as you start stacking them up things can get very expensive very fast yeah and i can't tell you how many times i've built a list on companion and i get the little pink bar at the top that says list is invalid not enough unlocks (laughs) so then i gotta go back to square one and be like do i want my uh horde of this or do i am i taking three regiments of void walkers with no upgrades for 120 apiece just because i need the unlocks you know so it's just a question that you're gonna have to ask yourself but i I really think you brought up something Corey, that i think is true what comes to mind is how adam ballard plays regiments of spears in his eod list are sort of the regiment of spears holding an objective on a flank we haven't seen a lot of play at the highest levels or competitive levels around infantry regiments so that it is interesting that that is a sort of uh 
area now that you can explore. I do think it's a sweet spot, and I've been playing around the the, the old Warhammer term, multiple uh, medium units, right? So yeah, a lot MMU, of right? yeah, a yeah. lot of medium sized units, I think, could actually work in a Twilight Kin list. Those fleet wardens in the flank, thirty attacks on fours with elite and crushing strength one. That's that's pretty good. And probably vicious. That probably vicious, right? That's pretty good. Been like the regiments of impalers too. Well, let's talk about impalers because I think there are other one of our sort of the instinct in looking at this list is that's going to be another place you go either for your unlocks or for building your sort of center line, right? Is about impalers. So you can get impalers in regiments or hordes. They're monstrous infantry, which my large infantry bases that I made during playtesting got upgraded to heavy infantry bases. Heralds of playtesting. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I'm rolling with the punches. That's all about life. You know, it's not, it's not how you get knocked down. It's how you get back up. But impalers, a 135 for the regiment, 225, which I think is a good value. And I think your instinct is to look at these guys and be like, oh, this must be my big meaty combat ogres or palace guard or whatever. But in actuality, I think you're paying a lot for their dash 14 and dash 17. They're, they are elite, but at speed five, wild charge D3, they can be fast, but they can also not be fast. And really that only that crushing strength one does matter, I think, with these guys, but still a great unit. What are your guys' thoughts on impalers? They're good. A lot of people looked at these first, like, oh my God, these are incredible. This is, br-. I've sort of gone up and down on them a few times. I think I started out with, you know, you've got the Fed 6 in the front, you've got um, Fearless, you, you've got the ability for like weakness in the list and, and heal and Renner's life. You know, these are going to be unkillable. They're very much not unkillable. And as you say, that only Crushing Strength 1, it's, you know, quite easy to get Elite and Vicious on them again. So that kind of balances out. I think they're a good unit, and I think they're in a really sort of nice spot in terms of balance. Most people, I think, have jumped to these because they're so used to your your larger monstrous infantry being your hammers or being your, your star units, and have maybe missed some of the infantry. So I don't know if I'm just not in love with these because I'm really excited that infantry is so good in Twilight Kin, but I, I just can't get too excited about them at the moment. But actually seeing all the, the paint jobs that came out from the community painters, all of a sudden I've got a little bit more excited again. That's a real thing, right? So they are very, very pretty. Yeah, they're probably my favorite models in the whole line. So I have two hordes of them and that I've been playtesting with mostly. And part of that is a model choice because usually in general, I would say, the bigger the footprint, most of the time it's a penalty, not an improvement. Now you could make an argument for, since I'm defense six, I can sit on an objective, I can block space in the front with big shield. Maybe there's in some scenarios, uh, but what I've found is they charge, they get stuck, they start grinding, but because they're so large, it's very difficult to then completely protect their flanks from being charged. And in the flank, doesn't matter if you're dash 17, you're only defense four. Mm-hmm. They aren't unkillable. They are very easy to kill. You get a greater air or any sort of flying unit or anything into their flank and it, it hurts them. So again, I'm kind of a, a, of Elliot's mind. They're good. They're solid, but by no mean no means are they world beaters. What do you think, Corey? I'm in the same vein. I, I, I think they are fine. They are very appropriately pointed. Um, I think because of their fairly slow speed, but good defense, they are defensive in nature, right? Um, fearless nerve and defense six to the front. And the big base is a hindrance. So you've got to, they've kind of got the Moloch 
problem, right? You've got to protect them and you've got to deliver them um, where you can protect them too. So I think that that makes a, a big difference with these guys. They're not, I'm going to take six units and set the world on fire siege breakers. No, because when you deliver them, even if you're perfect and you deliver them and everything goes great, they're still only crushing strength one, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like a unit like we'll talk about next in a second with the mutants where when you do deliver them and the fireworks are going off, you know, these are guys that I think are a good solid unit. I tend to run them and I'm curious what you guys think. I'm usually taking them in a horde with, but I'm, and I'm not spending one more point on them. I'm not giving them any items. I'm just taking them at the 225. Dash 17, big shield, crushing strength one, all the... That price point is great, right? Um, the only item I might want to put on them is the Meat of Madness, just so I know I have uh, an out-threat to ogres, right? So yeah. I'm minimum charging 12, so I can out-threat them a little bit. But that might be the the only item I end up putting on them. And what are your thoughts on that, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've tried them with a Brewer Strength. And it, so with, with, with Strength and Elite and, and so Vicious potentially again, they do start creeping up towards being hammers. Um, but then once again, you're up to that sort of 275 point hard um and you know i looked at them and thought oh i really could do with that being two lots of unlocks rather than one and quite quickly that was dropped i, I think mead of madness as i say is, is a good choice on them although there is another unit where my mead always sits which we'll call come on to but yeah they're, i said they're they're a, they're a good solid unit i haven't actually looked at them in regiments and you were just saying earlier Corey, that regiment actually does look quite tasty because you're only three pips of nerve less for a good 90-point discount. Defense six, right? Yeah, one of those just in the middle of all your lines just holding things up actually is really quite nice. And it's still punchy enough, right, with Elite and Vicious. Uh, it's still it's still going to do some damage, and you still got to commit to get rid of it. So yeah. I, really, I really like the regiments. I, I like the regiments more than the hordes, to be honest. But equally, actually, at those point levels, I just take another Corsair regiment. <laughs> more, more fleet ones. <laughs> also fair. <laughs> Like you have the chaff window that I think you think about inherently you sort of fall under that 80 to 100, 110. And then I think once you get to that heavy chaff, right, you're thinking 115 to 130, 140, right? Kind of in, so it is pointed, I think, in that sort of, you know, heavy chaff. You don't want to uh, hard to kill slash if you give me a flank with it, I'll do some damage. So that is definitely like this is a unit I think where maybe in the infantry. You can take in the hordes, but there's a really good spot to argue maybe regiments are better. I think this is good in both sizes. Probably a good time now to mention the regiment from the uh, from the formation, right? The the rallying regiment of impalers. I, I love that freaking unit. Yeah, so the formation we have is the crew of the Heartseeker. In that formation, you get two Fleet Warden troops and an impaler regiment. And sort of what the formation gives you is that the Fleet Warden troops become dash 12. And the Impaler Regiment picks up Rally 1 Corsair only. So that's one of the ways we can get Rally. So I think we've seen that in some of the early builds, right? When we talk about looking at the list through designing is people who maybe take the crew of the Heartseeker plus two regiments of Fleet Wardens and a Void Captain. And so you have a combat group that's two regiments of Fleet Wardens, two troops of Fleet Wardens, a regiment of Impalers, and avoid captain and essentially all your all your fleet wardens all rally to plus the fleet captain or the void captain you can make a reaver of the middle sea give him some extra attacks maybe beast of the beast slayer on him to sort of support that combat group there is a, a space to be said if you want to have a chunk of fleet wardens as like a core of your list this formation would fit really well into that 
I do like the troops there, the the fearless troops with some rally bonuses behind them, and maybe throwing a blood hex on them or a or a or a nerve bump there. They become quite good. The fleet warns too; they go from twelve to fourteen attacks too. The troops in that formation, yep. so they're also picking up a little extra combat ability, which is nice. Yeah, there's some, there's some good punchy chaff pieces that you certainly can't ignore. Have you messed around with this formation at all in testing, Elliot, or have you played with it at all? The formation is really good in terms of the units that you get with it. The issue I found with it in the game I played was it was against Gladstalkers. And so even with all that extra nerve, yeah, they're just still very good to shoot off. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> That's one of the big issues of Twilight King is that you can buff it up sometimes, but you are predominantly defense four. And so you've got all these cool tricks that you can do to increase your nerve and to, and to have a bit more durability, but you can just get shot off <laughs> quite easily in one go. It's it's a really good formation, actually. And, and it's it's again, it's great to see troops being powerful. I've been playing around quite a lot at the minute with the Varanger Reavers and loving them. And that fearless troop that if you don't kill it in one go, it's, it's got to come back and hit you again. I think it's really underrated in the game at the moment. So I can see this being useful. It's just it's a, it's yet another thing that I think to make it work, you need to invest lots into it. So you'd need everything that you described. You would need the additional rally. You would probably definitely need a navigator in the middle of all that to get the best value from it. And all of a sudden, you the formation becomes probably more than half your army to make work. And if not a navigator, you're taking Lothiel, right? Right, for the stealthy. The stealthy bubble, which again, she's a great piece, but she's an unlock and 150 points that doesn't score. And that's another thing I think what you see with Twilight Kin is not only are you searching for unlocks, but with Lafayette, Navigators, Crones. A lot of individuals, a lot of individual reliance. And it's like the nitro boost to the gasoline, right? A lot of the, the individuals are what makes the gears, grease the gears for the army to function. At the end of the game, you have all your individuals alive murdering everyone, and then you have no scoring units. Interestingly for Twilight King, there was a, a few units that, in my mind, I think a lot of people's minds became must-takes really early on. And I think we're all going to have to challenge ourselves on that of, is this actually a must-take unit? Because as you say, you've got to find yourself with four or five individuals at the end with, you know, looking really menacing, but not going to actually win a game. Depending on who you talk to, you hear Lafayette is a must-take. The Void Lurker with the fleet, fleet, uh, the fleet upgrade is a must-take. This is a must-take. And you end up, you end up with 7,500 points yeah. of must-takes. So it's like you can't, we, we, we don't play that big. That's the alternative, yeah, just play, play more points. Well, I'm really curious about what you guys think about this next unit. I think it is one of our hammers. It's also unlocking unit you can use for unlocks. I think that on paper, it's incredibly powerful. It's the Void Touch Mutants. You can get them in troops or regiments. The regiment is 225, the troop is 150, so not cheap. But for that, you get 20 attacks on threes with Elite but you get Strider, Thunderous Charge 2, Wild Charge D3, and they're already speed 7. So this is sort of like our quasi-cav. But they are only TC and not Brew of Strength, and they are still only Defense 4. So they are, for 225 at 1417 Nerve, it is a lot of points in a D- Defense 4 frame. But when you deliver these guys, oh my gosh, face melting. <laughs> There's that word again, delivery, right? <laughs> How do I get them where they need to go? They're very, very, very good. This, to me, I think is kind of, you know, no, not so big-headed. I, 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 I actually didn't write the rules for these, so I can, I can say this. This is what I think <laughs> is one of the more perfectly designed Kings of War units in its risk-reward. So there is absolutely, it doesn't do everything. It does one thing very well and has a very clear weakness. You know, it's got that that bigger wave of gap. It's defense for, it's expensive for what it is. It can die and do nothing. 
or it can just wipe the field. It, if, you, if you consider this basically as cavalry, which is what it effectively is, but actually has some advantage over cavalry, which I'll, I'll mention in a minute, you know, it's built in Strider, built in Elite, <laughs> TC2. You know, this would be some of the best knights in the game, but they don't have the defensive darts around it. They don't have Headstrong Fury, which, you know, you see on knights. Um, but yeah, I mean, even when you've lost your TC, 20 attacks at melee 3 with Elite and most likely Vicious, they're just, they're scary. Great you have Phalanx, but I'm still hitting you on yeah, threes because I'm absolutely. not cavalry, right? So that's cool. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm height 2, so I can hide a little easier. Yeah. You bring up a great point. You're, you're, you're leveraging some of the Phalanx negatives in this unit in re- in relation to Cav because you are losing the Thunderous, but you're still hitting on that threes with Elite, which is huge. I think Elliot said it. I was like, this is a very well-designed unit. I've been looking for what is a glass hammer? What should it really look like? This is a great design touch to say this is the glassiest of hammers right here. And if you don't kill it, I, you know, I've, I've had games where the, the amount of damage these will do to a defense five unit, even when they've lost their TC, is just terrifying. Yeah, and that's before you bring into the, you know, your, your vicious and your, your bane chance or whatever you've got knocking around. It's a numbers game. You're just rolling so many dice over and over and over again. Yeah. The, the one thing I was going to mention, sir, and, and the other advantage these have over cavalry is you'll notice, obviously, throughout Kings, there's, there's a standardized formula for how attacks change between troops and regiments. Now, cavalry, I think, really suffer with that because their attacks half. So usually a troop has half the number of attacks as a regiment, whereas with infantry and heavy infantry, they tend to drop by two or by five, depending on how many attacks that they've got. So you have here, you've got a, a troop, which would normally be a troop of cavalry. It's cost the same as a troop of cavalry, you'll notice, but with 15 attacks rather than the usual 10 that it would have if it was cav. So all of a sudden, you've got a troop size, which normally would get ignored, to be honest, if it was cavalry, that's actually really, really scary. Um, again, 150 is a lot of points for a 1013 defense 4 unit, but this is putting out the same amount of damage output as a Kingdoms of Men Knight Regiment. Well, more if that's because it's got- exactly it's it's just a, it's just another KV unit. <laughs> so uh, as you said, Corey, it all comes down to how do you deliver it. You know, if you can get that into combat consistently, that's a very cost-effective night regiment and what i've been running to deliver them and i'm curious what your guys thoughts are i've been running uh, when i run mutants i tend to run two regiments of them and then i'm running phantoms i think phantoms are really an under the radar powerful unit but especially in twilight kin specifically because of the mutants because the phantoms are also heavy infantry so they're the same frontage as mutants but they're fearless we love fearless chaff and they fly so they get the hell out of the way when it's time for the mutants to go eat face i almost think phantoms are obligatory and that's why i like enlist i i think i agree so talking about must takes i think probably phantoms are in there as you need at least one really i think with the mutants for me in terms of how you deliver them it's either been phantoms or it's been just have so many of them that something's getting through um, <laughs> currently running two regiments and a troop you, you could even go higher than that I think several troops are quite terrifying because it's like well what do you do, do you focus down on the troops or do you focus on the regiments that are hard as kill but have got more attacks and it's something is going to get through somewhere and it's going to hit as hard as anyone else's hammer unit. Kind of like the visual of that just a wave, like the World War Z zombies just running at crushing everything in their path it's quite a good visual there and what do you guys think about items? I've been sort of of two minds, and I've tested both, and I'm having difficulty. I think running them with nothing is perfectly acceptable. I've kind of I've run them like I've run uh, double heavy infantry hammers, where one gets fury, one gets a uh, uh, chant of uh, whatever it is, chalice of wrath, and then one gets dwarven ale, right? So fury headstrong, 
And then I've also been of the mind that if they're going to get hit, they're going to probably die completely anyway. So I've run them with the regiment discount of brew of strength and to really make my opponents PP their uh, underpants, uh, brew of sharpness. I mean, what do we think about items for mutants? Are we taking items? Are we not taking items? Or I agree. Nothing on them is perfectly acceptable. I think for mutants, I think they, they almost don't need anything. Yeah. Staying stones, a lovely one for them. I didn't say staying stones, the one I, I tend to, to lean towards because it's easy at the minute. Just because of how, I, how I've got them, because I've got, so say I've, I've only got two of them. I've got Brew of Haste and Made, made of Madness on them. Um, just because Brew of Haste is just, like, you're outranging cavalry at that point, like quite considerably. Right, then you're, you're out threading Aldecav. That's right. right. That's it, yeah, you're outranging Speed 9 cavalry, and it's just hilarious. And when you've got those, you know, elf, elf cavalry looking down at you, and it's like, yeah, stay back. <laughs> I can, like, that's right. And that's another way to deliver them, right? Is to not just think about how do I deliver these through chaff, but how am I going to deliver them through items in increasing their speed? It's less stuff I have to worry about charging me first. Right. That, that brew of haste just creates a giant swath of a go-no zone for everybody. Not 19-inch charge range. <laughs> you don't want to have to tell your psychologist where on the doll the mutant touched you. So you do not because, like you say, I've had games where... They get shot once and, and wavered and they do nothing. And then I have ones where if they get behind you or get into the side of you, oh man, Bob's your uncle. It's it's nasty. Yeah. I mean the nice thing is they don't they don't need the offensive upgrades, right? They don't need a brew of strength. They don't need a brew of sharpness because they're gonna hit a ton and they're gonna hit hard. So it's uh, you can give them the speed upgrades or the, the nerf bumps and go that route. You got to be careful with these guys though, right? Because you cannot, they are still super fragile. You do not want to be uh, misplace them or not uh, let someone else's chaff. Because that's the thing with 1417 defense four. If you're getting charged by gargoyle or charged by a, a chaff that can punch a little bit, just even a smidge, you're, you risk getting wavered. I am, I'm not sure. I can see myself with these units eventually just pulling it back to maybe a couple of troops in my armor. Once I've really got decided what my Twilight Kinless will look like, because like, like you say, they can very easily get wavered or very easily get taken off. And so I feel like the real strength of these units is going to be have it in your list, but don't rely upon it completely. But when it does something, it will really do something. But a couple of troops of these, you know, 150 points each, you can probably find the room for that. Or even just one troop somewhere of just a, you can never ignore this. Um you don't have to build your entire strategy around delivering it. Just have if you've only got one troop, but it's every now and again that one troop will just take off. You know, six hundred points across a, a game um, if it gets lucky. You know, it's it's scary. I love them. Now, Elliot is uh, clearly you're a fan. So, are you throwing them out there as kind of your alpha strike units, or are you holding them back as saying, okay, let somebody break upon my infantry? regiments and then i'll hit them with the the mutants as a second follow-up wave how have you been using them the, the list i've got at the minute is sort of hyper aggressive so i'm just pushing everything forward i've got two hordes of fleet wardens yeah, that are going 12 inches the first turn and just shoving up so the mutants are going up and they've got phantoms in front of them as well but it's just i've, I've found quite a lot of success of just i'm just going to put a lot of pressure on you with everything but as you say actually they, they would be a really powerful second wave because of the speed in the wild charge you can hang back quite away so you can see a lot of the battlefield you know you it's not like a lot of second wave infantry units where you've got to be within that sort of 10 so you're quite limited on what you can do 
Um, right. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of potential in this unit. I think anybody that can master mutants and really get them down, I think, is the first person that's going to win a GT with Twi'lekin, in my opinion. I think it's... You're right, because I, th- I think they just bring that much power to the table, but you have to use them exactly right. I mean, they might be the army's Halo unit. You know, we talk about that sometimes, the unit on why you play want to play the army. And the initial instinct for me was Impalers, right? This is the unit. And granted, I love them and they're in my army. But I wonder, the more I think and look around mutants it they might be the special sauce of the list once they're figured out what's the sort of that sweet the goldilocks you know where uh, on how many we take and in what size it's worth mentioning as well they've got the void touched keyword so the navigators can give them stealthy and spell wood which is really useful obviously on those i think that's a great a great touch for them hide in some woods with the strider minus two to everything and then again, they work so well with Phantoms, which is another just really great piece at the army. Flying Chaff is great. Flying Fearless Chaff is even better. Flying Fearless Chaff that also hits on fours is <laughs> like the, uh, you know, you keep going down the list on what you want from Chaff. Uh, and Phantoms are like, they got it all. So that's really, and I've had some, fant- like 12 attacks on fours in the flank on something is not nothing. So I've had some units where you bounce off phantoms and then all of a sudden the phantoms are just going crazy, sucking the soul out of your face, you know? Agreed. So what do we think about, it's another heavy infantry and another option, I think, when you're looking at how am I going to unlock things or what do I want to take to unlock? What do we think about the Wranglers? And as a reminder, the Corsair Wranglers, they're 100 and 150 points. Standard nerve for troop 11, 13, 14, 16 in the regiment. Speed 7. Four plus melee, four plus range, four plus defense. Their sort of shtick is they got crushing strength one and elite melee, but stealthy, which is nice. It's one of the things you don't you don't have to worry about uh, getting them in either the navigator or Lafayette. And they pick up a ranged attack, unleash tormentors, which is only six inches, but it's piercing one steady aim. And if you're damaged by this, you're disordered, which is nice. Have you guys messed around or played much with Wranglers at all? Can't say that I have, just because they're always something I take out if I'm looking for points. So they never actually make it into the final cut of my list. I'm I'm irrationally scared by Wranglers. <laughs> from from the from the rules design <laughs> perspective of but for for those that don't know how the list design works when when the RC is given. We're, we're, we're given the list of the units that Manta are going to be producing, and they want to make rules for us. And Wranglers are one that we were given of. You know, this is a really cool idea. It's going to be some corsairs pushing forward tormentors, and and we want them to have a rule where like they can fire off tormentors, and and that'll be brilliant. And then you know, make, make something exciting happen for it. The, these have been through fifteen iterations of how that rule works, and it's like the one of the core principles of Kings of War is keep it simple. And it's like, oh, what do you do? <laughs> that was a tough one to kind of even play test. How do you not make this the like really complicated or really powerful? Or I don't just like where we came to with it, actually, but I'm just scared from the whole process. They feel a little busy to me. I do like that they're only 150 points in the regiment. So it is an option outside of the Voidwalkers and Fleet Wardens that if you want a regiment unlock that's not the 225 of mutants, here's a 150 Wrangler. And I was thinking maybe, I was trying to think about maybe they have a place if you go the Lightning Bolt or the Ranged Vision, maybe you take these as unlocks because it's just extra... I get a little bit of like a brain a brain uh, headache when I look at these guys trying to figure out how to make them work. I do like the troops kind of as a flank guard against flyers. I mean, yeah. with the, the disordering shooting attack because of a short range, just to be able to 
make a, a little no-go zone for somebody over there. But it's tough to squeeze them in, right? Because everything else does the job better. <laughs> these are one of these units where if you almost ignore the shooting attack, they're actually a very solid unit for the cost. Right. If you were to look at this, any other infantry regiment in the game, you'd go, actually, that's pretty solid. If, you know, Speed 7 is brilliant on, you know, Crushing 1 and Elite and Stealthy. And yeah, they're, they're a really solid unit. And I think I, I understand why people are getting kind of hung up on the shooting attack. I don't understand what to do with it because it's everyone I've heard say you'll never use it. And actually, in testing, I found I was using it a lot more than you think because there's always that time when you, your combat has kind of, it's happened, a bit of a mess has happened, and it's not always easy to get everything else into combat the next turn it can be quite powerful just to have one unit where you can just say well actually i won't bother with this one then i'll back up a bit and i'll disorder that in the corner and 14 shots on fours with piercing one is actually really good as a shooting attack it's good right and it does have the blood hex option too don't forget i think these are a unit where we're all going to ignore them at first and then in a few months time you'll start seeing them come in yeah Somebody will unlock it, right? And it's it's a rattle for me, but it's it's heavy infantry versus infantry. I just find that bigger base just so much harder to deal with than that really neat little <laughs> infantry regiment base. I'm just annoyed that the <laughs> so tormentors and corsairs are all on infantry bases, but but this one somehow managed to end up on a heavy infantry base. And that is an interesting thing on Twilightkin, right? We have a lot of heavy infantry units in an environment that you would not expect to see heavy infantry units. Right from our characters to the, there's a lot of heavy infantry base size in this list, which is interesting. And that's something I actually like on the characters because I actually like all characters, individuals on heavy infantry bases. I think there's just more modeling choices you can do with that too. So for me, I just like that visually anyway. I mean, the the simple answer there is if you look at League of Infamy or you look at any of the board games, they all come on 25 mil squares. So wherever you've got characters that have moved over from different games, they tend to be heavy infantry. And I'm with Corey. I'm as a basing and hobby guy myself. I I I think for gameplay reasons, the larger base size has no real detriment. Whereas for hobby, it makes a big difference. So absolutely, don't tell anyone. But if you look at pretty much all of my individuals, they're all on 25 mils because they look better. <laughs> That's our secret. <laughs> I wonder if with the Wranglers, I think there's something repetition bias where you can look at something and based on your past experience, you're given a gut sense. But I think since there's really no unit like this in the game, maybe like throwing dogs are sort of kind of like maybe some, but I think a lot of players just don't know. They don't have that experience bias on what a unit like this does. I mean, when you look at them, they're, they're mounted scouts. They're not based on infantry, they're based on cavalry, which is why you've got the cavalry profile of half the attacks and the base size and the nerve and the cost. Oh yeah, that's true, right? Yeah. They're a light cavalry option that's then obviously been tweaked around. That's how King's units tend to work. So they're a really good light cavalry option. But as you say, it's that thing of, this doesn't look like what I'm expecting it to look like. So I think it will take time for people to play around with it. I'm really curious about this next unit. It was uh, There was quite the discussion about this unit during playtesting. And I think, uh, again, this is one of those units that on paper you see and you're like, oh, my God, uh, you know, not only will you kill me, you'll go back in time and melt all my ancestors. But what I and, and after I played a lot of games with these guys, so I'm curious what you think about the Void Touch Weavers. So this is a unique heavy infantry spellcaster unit. So this is really one of the first uh, units in the game where we've seen like a unit itself have spells. And these guys you can take in a troop or a regiment 110 and 145. But the big thing is they can either take fireball 10 in the troop, 12 in the regiment for free, or up to three times you can give them void bolts, which is essentially lightning bolt, uh, either six in the troop, 
are eight in the regiment. What do we think about uh, weavers? They're good, but they're not great, right? They're they're not the end all be all that I think a lot of people are saying up front. Um, I just think if you invest so many points in all of that lightning bolt spam, there's not going to be enough of your army to compete once the lines do eventually close, and lightning bolts only going to get you so far in the game. I think that's really what it comes down to. I do kind of like the fireball options on these guys. I think that's very cheap and that's a great price point for a fireball 12 or a fireball 10 out there on an infantry unit. I think that's actually pretty tasty. I'm not even sure they're good. (laughs) I just said this was a controversial unit through lots of playtesting. They are very expensive for lightning bolt 8 is good. I'm not talking about but they're really expensive when you start like to to really make these a you like a, a strategy you can build around. You're gonna need two, probably three of them, and then that is a big chunk of points that is irregular in your list for the lightning bolts. I agree completely. I think the fireball ones are the way to go. I think a fireball troop is brilliant when you've got shattering in there. I would have had these as slightly cheaper or better, but they were such a flashpoint in playtesting that. <laughs> To get to here was everybody gets scared of yeah. lightning bolt on a unit, right? And this was one of those units where I think I think like on in a vacuum, I can see people's point. I really can when you've actually got to build it into a list and have all the other stuff, and you've got big scary list running against you as well. They're fine. I, I think where they are now is not in a bad place, and I think if people take them, there won't be a, a disadvantage to themselves. But when I'm seeing people say that the sky is falling, the world is ending because these exist, I actually think they could do with a nudge up. <laughs> to be honest, if you were to read. Jeremy's diary, it would be Dear Diary. Are Void Touch Weavers a trap? And it began, I began not thinking that. I've been I began, oh, this unit's awesome. I think the little three for the void bolts, which makes sense because you don't want people spam or whatever, that to me makes me feel, oh, I have to take three or none. Like if the maximum is three, that means my subconscious is Jeremy, they picked that number for a reason, so you must take it. I honestly feel like the three cap is like doesn't even need to be there because <laughs> if you're That's taking more than three, you're doing yourself a disservice. <laughs> it doesn't need to be there at all. We had a real fight over whether to put it in or not. It was it was a safety net, <laughs> basically. In case we were wrong, we're not wrong. Piece one seventy for this unit is really expensive. One seventy times three yes. is really expensive. And you know we've we've mentioned it here. With maybe some armies like halflings, you know, this against halflings is really tough. Or against spell ward, or uh, you can have turns where it's like, okay, I have twenty four lightning bolt hitting on fours or or, in, or fives if you're in cover. Okay, I'm going to hit you four times and do two damage or three damage. So you've spent one hundred and seventy five times three for three or four damage against defense five that's charging you on turn two or three. And, and would you not have been better off taking you know, a character that could do that or a mind screech or a... Well, that's that's how I compare this. Is like, I would rather have a mind screech, right? I can move it easier. It can fly. It's easier to get into position than a, lo- a heavy infantry unit. These are much easier to unlock, but they're infantry, so they're only height two. Yes. So they're not seeing things. They're so easy to get blocked in terms of line of sight or providing cover. Um, I think the fireball ones are genuinely very good, actually. 145 points for fireball 12. I think he's really good. I like Fireball. I think it's- That's something I never even really... I mean, your instinct when you look at this unit, right? And I think you bring up a good point, which is the comparison between my screeches is very applicable, but in a list where it's we're struggling for those unlocks, these are easier to get, right? 
being troops or being the uh, um, yeah, whatever, the, the, whatever. The irregular uh, unlocked. Irregular, yeah. yeah. But one thing I haven't looked at, which is uh, you know, you know, uh, Rob calls you Novocaine for a reason, Corey, which is like, <laughs> I never even thought to think about the fireball, which fireball does have shattering, right? Which to me, I always forget that, right? That fireball does have shattering. And maybe there is a spot, uh, an argument there to just take them cheaper and take fireball instead of the feeling like you have to buy them lightning bolt. Yeah, because I mean, you want to close with the enemy, right? You want to be closer in general with all your units. So are you really going to hang back and blast lightning bolt from across the table? Or are you better off just getting these guys up further and throwing fireballs at all the, all of the enemy units? I'm going to try them with fireball in my next playtest game. I think I'm going to give that because I've only been taking them as lightning bolt and have been really struggling with making lists with them work. I love the idea of it just so I can, when I play my opponent, I can sing, uh, uh, sing uh, Dreamweaver like in Wayne's World <laughs> when I'm rolling dice for them. You know, that's like I want them in my list solely for that opportunity to sing at tournaments, but I've struggled trying to get them to work. Yeah, I like I said, I almost uh, universally have dropped them from the list as I go through list construction. It's either one or none. I'm really not taking more than that. Fireball is an interesting though. I think there might be something there, uh, either in the regiment or one ten for fireball ten. Uh, uh, essentially, taking a wizard that has fireball ten for uh, 110 points that also has unit strength that also has eight attacks on elite. I mean, granted it's only five, but I mean, there might be, I like that of having a little troop that can sit on an objective or shoot or whatever. So interesting. I think, so I think this is another one of, of those units that we've talked about that maybe on paper appears to be something that it's not, that when you actually start playing with it, you're like, ooh. In an army like this where points are at a premium, yeah, do you really want to spend 170 points? That's 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 the question. So what do we think about sort of the other Night Stalker elements in the list? Like, you know, we could get bound butcher. And I love the fact that no longer are these butchers or ravagers. These are bound butchers, bound ravagers. These are different units. These are their own thing. Uh, soul flares are really good, right? I mean, what do we think about sort of these other infantry night stalker elements? Do they have a place in the list or just because we want to get the juicy TK stuff, we you just never get around to looking at ravagers or butchers or I have a hard time with the reapers because the other infantry units are so much cheaper and better. That's that's I mean, that's where I fall on the reapers anyway. I, I agree completely. I think that there's nothing wrong with reapers at all. It's just that you can get the same role from the Corsair equivalents um, and, and better and, and synergize a lot better in your list. So there's nothing wrong with the Reapers. It's just that just, I wouldn't, I don't think I'll ever take them. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a hard and sell. Similar with, with Butchers and, and um, Ravagers. They're, they're good. They're really, really good units. You know, you can't argue with how cost-efficient a, a Butcher Horde is and which regiments are. Um, but they're irregular and it's... Like it's another 200 points that you just that isn't giving me an unlock. I can unlock with impalers, right? And butchers have a very similar role to impalers. They are probably the only advantage the butchers have over them is they're on a smaller footprint, um, but they don't unlock. So it's uh, you know, so I think I'll just I don't think I'll ever take butchers unless I really want the regiments for that sort of thick chaff kind of thing. But I think honestly, phantoms do it better. Um, same yeah. with ravagers. I'm not a big fan of the ravagers. Full stop. Um, we're just so hungry for unlocks, I think, in this list that those type of units that don't unlock that are of that price point, I just don't think you find room in the list for them. It's very challenging. The soul flares are slightly different. I think they're, there's, a, there's a definite place for the soul flares. I think that that bit of extra speed is, is really helpful. Um, it keeps a lot of people honest. 
because some of the army is a little bit slower. Windblast is, you know, it's always nice. Um, the sort of soft lasers are a, a good solid unit. I think they're in a nice place now. After, yeah, I think they add something to the list as well. Like you said, that speed eight fly gives them a threat range and the ability to flank when something does crash into your infantry regiments. So I do like that. The fact that the soul players are height four, I think, is really the the secret sauce in them, and the fact that you can keep them deployed center left or center right behind your impalers. Someone charges the impalers, and then it's very difficult to protect against cross flank charging, where I'm on the center right and I'm charging to my left with one unit or I'm on my center left with a soul flares and I'm charging towards the right because soul flares in the flank all of a sudden are a genuine uh, hammer. So uh, I think that is of besides the phantoms there to me of the night stalker units, you know, without looking at the monsters that we'll look in a second, but they're one, I think really monsters coming. (laughs) Oh yeah. They do have a, a, a spot in the list. And at 160 for twilight king, they're almost cheap. Right, yeah, everything's so expensive. <laughs> that's where that's where we start talking void skiffs, right? That's the unit that's going to be next on our list. As also as one as sort of like I'm a we're discussing all these sort of core unlocking the sort of lists that maybe set the theme and the pace and the feel of your Twilightkin list. So I think the void skiff is one of those uh, units. So as a reminder, the void skiff speed seven. It's a chariot. You can get it in only one size. Uh, uh, which is the the regiment size, I believe, 150 points, uh, 16 attacks on 14, 16 for, like I said, for 150. But these guys come with a nice kit of, of rules, right? Brutal, elite, fly, you know, they're speed seven, so a little slower, but still fly nimble, thunderous charge two. But probably the most unique thing, right, that, w- that we've been talking about is that they can pick up for a cheap, I mean, talk about value town, 10 points, they pick up an 18-inch ranged four eight attack piercing one. So it's like all of a sudden a troop of crossbows, I guess, get on the boat and are uh, riding <laughs> riding around. And granted, you can only shoot out of your side flank, but you can do a lot of stuff and still keep stuff in your front arc and still see it with your side arc. What do we think about the void skiffs? I think they have a lot of utility. And I know a lot of people kind of poo-poo multi-purpose units, but I actually really like all the things that the uh, void skiffs bring to the table. I mean, being able to fly, be nimble, um, and be a chariot kind of makes chariots worth it in this case. And like Elliot said about the the uh, the Wranglers, the Corsair Wranglers, well, if you almost treat the shooting attack as if it's not there, but you get the opportunity to use it, then I think that it's really good. I wouldn't lean into it so much because I do think it's going to be challenging to use the broadside shooting all the time, just because you're most likely going to be within 16, 17 inches if you're shooting at something. So you're definitely within your opponent's threat range but i think it's good and i i think uh i i really like these and because they unlock right they are one of these key units that unlock and they do it very cheaply as well so cheap for what you get you know again if you if you look at these that they're effectively the the, the 16 attacks at 14 16 so the kingdoms of men knights you know they're, they're slower they're not as hitty in their um, low defense but they're very very cheap for an unlocking regiment I, I really like these. I think I, I like that you pointed out ahead of time how cheap the shooting uh, attack is. So so many people are Very so cheap. down on the shooting, and I'm never going to take these because the shooting is going to be hard to do in the flanks. It's ten points. <laughs> you know, you're not paying anything right. if you don't want it, or if you do want it, it's ten points. I agree completely. I, I would never. I'm not going to make a gun line with them. 
that that's not the use of that for me. But for 10 points, how often is, you know, have you just failed to break a unit by a couple of points and then it's like, I could really do it as putting a pip of damage on here? I, I think about these guys late game. You know, when you are, okay, I need to be over here, charge something or be on this objective over here, but I really want to shoot this unit that's off to the other side. It gives you that optionality late in the game when you're trying to contest zones or objectives and still be able to threaten other units that you normally couldn't. I think it adds some incredible flexibility there that you might not otherwise have. I've been running one regiment of these. I think it's that thing of, well, no, is it these or is it another regiment of of, um, Fleet Ward, etc.? I think you're never going to go wrong with having one of these. just that 14 inch threat range over the lines. Um, Nimble is really powerful on a flying unit MR. It's not as common these days. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can add Brutal into combat. Thunderous 2 and Elite is lovely. It kind of, the Elite doesn't quite, but almost brings you back up to that Miller 3. I just think for the cost of these, they're a really, really solid unit that's almost been slept on a little bit. That They've also got the Corsair keyword. So Another rally target. They're very rallyable. Um, and all of a sudden, you can get them up to a, quite easily a 16-18, one-turn defense five. Um, they're, they're, they can yep. quite easily <laughs> pretend to be big, heavy cavalry. <laughs> and, um, yeah, for, for a turn at least, right? I think I, I think they've get, definitely got some game. I like I just like the price point. Yeah. No, I like this a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up some really great points, right? Our cheapest regiment, the Voidwalkers, are 120 points, right, if you don't buy them any upgrades. And most of the, I think, the Voidwalkers and Fleet Wardens at the regiment with getting them and stuff, this is sort of our window, right? The in-between 140 to 155-ish, That that is this unit is in similar cost to those regiment unlocks. So for something that's that cheap, it's it's nice. And like you said, if you want to take a couple regiments and either a character on a skiff or a, a couple regiments and uh, Mikhail or a, 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 a Solbane on a nightmare to go with them. You have a nice little flanking combat group that can punch you a little bit. And then also late game or mid game when you're setting up charges, it can do something, right? It can still shoot. Uh, you, it's not its sole purpose, but as you're maneuvering and getting out of people's flanks, trying to set up late game board positioning, having a unit that can also throw out some dice to maybe get a nerve check on a unit that you didn't quite kill. I think it's really powerful. During playtesting, I, I did have a few games of, of, of really taking you know, lots of these units. I think I think eight I took at one point. Um, and again, there's, there's a lot of fun there in that list. <laughs> Probably not the most powerful, but it's... Um, it, it's similar to the idea of taking you know lots and lots of um, couple of bag riders or something like those lines of eventually <laughs> you kill things because they're just this, you can get so many of them in for the for the cost. Yeah, a lot of very average units. I think one thing also you, you mentioned compared to like fleet ones and, and void walkers. I do, I would never just take hundred. I think if you're just taking one hundred twenty point void walker unit with no upgrades on, it's just there to be an unlock. It's never going to do anything for you. Whereas I think the skiffs. You could just include one. You don't have to build your whole list around it. It's always going to be useful enough. Um, whereas in the infantry, it, it has to be part of your, your main battle plan. Whereas these can be, if you've just got 150 points left or you just need an unlock. Very utilitarian. They just can do a lot of different things. Yeah, there isn't a lot in the list that if you're at the end of the end of your list building and you have 150 points and you're like, I just need something that devoid of what my overall game plan is going to make my list better this is that unit that can do that because no matter what the rest of your army is having one of these is is it's it's going to help i would think is that what you're trying to say elliot that it's it's that type of unit it's always going to do something it's always going to be worth the points you bring it in for 
Whereas I don't, you're never, it's never going to be a waste. It never will. Yeah. Oh, good point. Well, that kind of covers our main unlocking core on all the units that we can take to build that core of the list, both for board control or for unlocking. Now we're going to kind of move into all of the things with which we want to use those unlocks for. Here's where the list opens up, right? Oh, man. So many juicy stuff. So let's start off with the, the piece de resistance, our old uh, old friend, yours and mine, which is the the mind screech, right? Uh, we can take the mind screech in two options. You can take it in the regular option, the singing aberration, which is the lightning bolt, mind fog, and wind blast six. Or you can take, which I think really shines in the Twilight Kin list, the planar aberration, which is radiance of life, heal seven, and mind fog, which I think, again, really works well in this list that we have some we have a lot of ways to put chip damage on nobody ever looked at the old mind screech profile and thought that's going to be the one you're never going to take anymore I know, right? <laughs> it was the perfect spellcasting monster and then it was like nah you're old news i think it's good that there's the uh, the limit one restriction on the planar apparition we've been talking loosely around what is auto include what is not auto. to me I think almost every Twilight Kinless is going to have a planar apparition. I mean, am I wrong? It really should. And I think because so many things about the Twilight Kin list are about, okay, I'm going to stop you as the opponent from doing something you want. I've got Ensnare here. I've got Phalanx. I've got a one-use Defense 5. i got weakness everywhere. And what does get through, I'm just going to heal it back with the planar apparition and then Radiance of Life, and it's going to be amazing. And that whole turn you spent did nothing for you. So I've got Defense 6. I can heal that all around to... I think they're just one of the keys to unlocking the list. They're going to have a big bullseye on their head, but mm-hmm. they're also not easy to kill. <laughs> no, no, they're not. No. And I like in the fact that they are straight up hex black holes, right? They want to suck the hex from your opponent. But in, in Twilight Kin, I'm not, it's the one thing where I'm not, it's you got a lot of targets where, for that, baby. You got a lot of targets, right? So one hex is not going to screw, like I'll talk to you as, as playing an EOD player with the soul snare. I see a hex and I'm like, oh, well that unit's not doing anything for the whole game. Well, at least in this, you have a lot of things so that one hex is not going to end your life. And the Radiance of Life still means even if you're moving and not casting, you're still casting heal too. And you're still scoring and you're still... Still participating. That's right. Hey. Yeah. Still Pathfinder and flying. No, no, no. It lost Pathfinder. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, it did lose Pathfinder. You are correct. Almost useless now. Oh my God. I won't ever take it. And if it needs it, it's got five attacks. On force, which in the flank is like, okay, I need to damage you at the end of the game to get a nerve check. Mind Screechers charge into combat an insulting amount of times. And it's... um, Yeah, they do. (laughs) Our emergency chaff, this is for like, in case of emergency, break glass. Sure. When something closes in, right? Just throw it out there. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Since it is speed six fly, you you do have some, some charge options with them as emergency chaff. So I'm thinking we go for the planer, and then if you want to add in the regular mind screeches, I think they're really good and fine, but then it just comes down to what's your unlock situation at. If you've got the the slots, I think the regular lightning bolt guys are worth it just for the chaff removal and a little bit of ranged threat. I think with all mind screeches, I've always thought the sweet spot is one in terms of the, the singing aberration, the shooting one. I know people like taking three. I've rarely seen them bring the value from that. Just in terms of the unlocks, you've got to give up for it and... They're very, very cheap, but they do start to add up when you've got three of them. I mean, it could be a unit of chariots, right? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's very unlikely we're ever going to take three because one of them is going to become the 
planar. Right. When people are taking three of them, you've got to build your entire list around it. Sure. And I, and I don't think Twilight can do that better than Nightstalkers would. So if, if you want a Mind Screech battery, just play Nightstalkers. Play Nights. You're exactly right. And that's the thing that you, you ask yourself, right? Which is, if I'm playing... Bob's, you're, you know, if you love the models and you're like, I want to play this and this because I love the theme, go for it. But if you're like, I want to play just this play style element, sometimes when it's better to, instead of trying to fit the round peg into the square hole or vice versa, if there's a list that does what you want to do better than the list you're trying to make it do that, maybe just go play the other army. I think the planer is like 100%. You guys are so on the ball, 100%. And then the regular Mind Screech, if you just want it or have unlocks for it, but I feel like there's, as we move on here, there are so many good things to spend your monster slash hero monster unlocks in. You're hard pressed to want to spend them all in one spot. Another unit I'm really, I've been loving playing with. I found it in a couple of games. I think it goes well is the uh, terror. So the terror is 235. It's a Titan unit strength too, right? So we all know that's an interesting change in the clash update, right? That, that the twilight can sort of, preview spoiled which is now all titans for unit strength two uh speed six defense four but regeneration four stealthy and strider only crushing strength one but it does pick up rampage eight to go along with its 12 attacks so against infantry this could be a great like infantry removal piece what do you guys think uh, about the the terror have you have you played much with it do you think it has a role in the the tk list I really like the terror in the TK list. Uh, just, just a good anchor to set up a lot of those counter charges with. Um, it's hard. It's extremely hard to get rid of, especially if you're backing it up with a planner or if you just happen to have a navigator that wants to give it life leech to <laughs> go for it. But And it grinds out infantry just great. So I actually, I actually am finding it ends up in most of my lists. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I love the terror profile. I haven't put it in my list yet only because i'm not lacking for crushing strength one and infantry killing what i find i'm lacking for more actually is higher crushing taking out defense five and six really easily and again sort of like bigger targets so for me the terror's job is done by my holds of fleet wardens but if i didn't have the hold of fleet wardens mm-hmm. i'd have a terror in. yeah i can see that i can i can certainly see the value in it it's just that for the list i'm have them at the moment i've got 30 attacks at you know, with elite and crush one, so I can I can deal with lots of nerve. What I can struggle to deal with more actually is defense six. General weakness of the list in general. Yeah, and I forgot to mention that the terror does have ensnare. But you bring up a great point, which is we do not have in the list any real outside of a couple things that we'll cover. Reliable crushing strength two or crushing t- strength three, high crushing, right? We just don't. It's just not in the list. And I suppose the, the way we deal with that is just throw lots of dice with lots of rerolls, and, and things go through. That's been my solution. It's just just weight of dice through that issue. Eventually, you weigh through that defense five, defense six, and now while you're, I, I agree with Elliot that the fleet wardens do what the terror does. I often find I want to be a little more compact in some places, which the terror lets me do over a horde of infantry. They actually have a very similar use, and I guess it's it, it's brilliant the terror is in the list because if you're choosing not to go for the infantry hordes and unlock in another way, then you can use the terror. If you want to go with the infantry hordes, you don't necessarily need the terror, so you can go something else. That's one of the things I'm just loving about Twilight Kin is I can't have everything, but I've got a tool for almost everything. Exactly. And I'm a big fan of the Mantic Terror model, too. 
if you're looking to play a full Mantic army and you want like a centerpiece, I, I dig that. Yeah, and I, and I saw something coming to the vault eventually. I saw in, the, in one of the preview videos that is like an old Mantic model that I think is going to make a great terror too. Oh, cool. Nice. We do have, along with the terror, we have a couple other cool monster options. One is the Gordrake. So this Gordrake is speed eight flying. It is crushing strength two. So a little bit more crushing. It has nimble. It has strider, which is really nice to have on a flying profile. So then that means when you land, you don't you don't care where you're landing. It's only seven attacks, but it does come up with the Vord charged beast, which was essentially a rule that all the Twilight Kin used to have during playtesting of getting to reroll X amount of dice that sort of got moved out of the list and sort of landed in the Gord Drake, where there are only seven attacks, but on with Strider, it's seven attacks usually always on threes and you get to re-roll three misses so you're pretty much going to be hitting with almost all of those dice and at 190 points and it is still a titan so you're getting that unit strength too i found in lists where i want something kind of like the terror but i just don't have the points the gordrake sometimes makes its way into my list what do you guys think about the gordrake one of my favorite units in the game is the blind beast of nature and this is very close to that as a profile. The Titan base is trickier as opposed to that lovely monster base on the Beast of Nature. Yeah, that yeah, that, that was my comparison as well. Um, Put it right up to a Beast of Nature, and and the Pathfinder is really nice yeah. for that Beast of Nature to go fly off and get into some some nice spots and terrain. So that that I think gives it the edge in my mind. Fifteen points cheaper. I, I really like this as a unit. I've got to say, actually, I think it's um, it feels sort of perfectly costed it's i've run lists where i've let you know lent heavily into them in flying list i don't think you'd ever go too wrong with having one of these in they're lovely sort of threats to flanks speed eight means that they'll operate very differently to a lot of flyers they're not dragons and they're not i mean they don't have the attack profile of a dragon um but they're, they're really good and they're really good support units for the cost um unit strength two is nice as well you know but not all titans are going that way it's a really solid good profile yeah, it, it's not going to set the world on fire, but you'd it'll do work in every single game. Yeah, I mean, I just found it's nice in an army list that has a lot of expensive things, the actual 190 aspect of it, I think it's like really well-costed for what it gives you. That if you are, again, if I'm at that sub 200 points and I'm not sure what to add, along with like what we talked about, the skiffs, this is another monster piece. If I'm looking to add a monster to my army and I want like a cool centerpiece model or I want a monster and I'm at that 200 points or below, that's when this guy tends to to make it into my lists. It's the unlocks, right? Yeah. Again, having the unlocks. Yeah, and that's so true. I think that's, and that's why we really started our conversation around the stuff that unlocks because so far as we go through all these choices, you can make an argument for almost including you know, in the list after we after Void Skiffs, it starts with Mind Screech, and then it goes, you know, Terror, Gordrake, Assassin, Navigator, Summoner Chrome, Void Captain, Flesh Ripper, Soulbane on Nightmare, the Void Skiffs. You can make an argument to include every single one of those in your list. A hundred percent. Right? A certain type of design. There's a place for all these things to be in there. So that's why the unlocks I think are so important. because uh, you want all this stuff. So what do we think about we've we've uh, mentioned briefly the Void Captain. He has a couple options. He can take Reaver of the Middle Sea, which is increases attacks to seven, or he can become a veteran of the Celestial War, increases nerve from 1214 to dash 15. He's 80 points, but his real sweet spot, I think, is in what we've mentioned, right, is that he gives rallying to Corsair 
Uh, is a Void Captain something we like when we're running maybe a, a Corsair heavy with build for that rallying? Would you ever take him just as like a, a, a you know, hunter or, or whatever? Or what do you think the Void, what do we think about the Void Captain? I really like him. I think he, I think the rally is big, especially with all those infantry units, right? So being able to have him running around in the backfield, rallying, inspiring, being cool all the way around is great. I do actually like bumping his attacks to seven and then throwing the blade of the beast layer on there. Again, as we're talking about, we, we lack for can openers sometimes for that defense five defense six. So he can come in with his seven attacks and get elite and most likely vicious in there and really add into a combat. He's, he's very good, isn't he? What I like about him a lot is that he's not just there for rallying. You know, he's got a really solid profile. Otherwise I don't think I would ever take, if I wasn't taking Corsairs, I don't think I would ever take him, not because it's a bad choice. It's just that I I feel at the minute like I'm not forced, but I kind of I have to take the Void Captain if I've got Corsairs because it's, it's just so good with them. We've mentioned it a few times now. Unlocks are going to be an issue. So if if I wasn't <laughs> taking the Corsairs, I would just use the unlock elsewhere. Um, but when I've got Corsairs in the list, it's always going to be worth it. And I love that it can do more. I tend to give mine the extra attacks and rampage. Yeah, rampage is good too. Just because it's you know you, you can just guarantee combats are going to tip over your way when you're um, going in with possibly ten attacks extra. It's just really nice to be able to bounce around and, and pick people off. Just being the individual that can bounce into a combat here and there and uh, tip the scales just enough in your favor. I think that's key. Yeah, I think he's interesting. Uh, that rally is just so good. I tend to lean more towards the same with you guys, giving him the upgrade and attacks to just add on. And I think the Blade of the Beast Slayer just fits perfect for that role. You know, your unit's rally that you want, plus also filling a gap that's in the army. So it's like a two for one. Because we don't have a lot of, we don't have any mounted hand-to-hand characters, right? So they're individuals that can speed around and throw their, their weight of... <laughs> offense into a combat so he does that yeah what we have right and we'll talk about them in a second we have uh you know guys who are not individual but we don't have that like hero on a horse that can get can can individual free facing and then charge a flying unit that's behind your back line exactly you know and the void captain at speed six it's not speed 10 or speed eight but it's still speed six is not bad. If you want to land behind me and not be twelve inches close to where I have my void captain, that could you could set it up so that could be very difficult. So he could fill that that backline flyer defense role. Agreed. Well, another reason why we we struggle so much for unlocks, uh, and I've talked about them on the show, my beautiful triplets, the summoner crone. So I think the summoner crone really is like a. We've talked about those halo units in the army as far as unlocking or whatever but i think this is another reason to want to play twilight kin is the summoner crone spellcaster 55 points but the big thing on this is the wicked miasma which essentially it's enthrall it's hex weakness and wind blast cause damage uh, i run mine mostly just with three with just straight up weakness four weakness is so good uh um, I mean, you know, whether or not you're shooting counter shootings or they're shooting at you with weakness, our combat units against are just just I need to damage. I mean, these crones are are pretty great. I mean, what do we think about the crones? Well, it's really cool that we finally have an army that's leaning into weakness a little bit. I know the damage is nice, right? And not, not at all hand waving that off, but um, because of the other things that the Twilight can do, because okay, we've got defense six um, impalers to the front, or we've got um, stealthy and um, 
spell ward bubbles, the weakness actually multiplies into that, right? And so it actually helps, or or the ensnare and phalanx on the infantry units. The weakness really multiplies how effective those units can be. And so it's a, a strategy that you really want to lean into. And having multiple casters with weakness is really something you want to do with the Twilightkin, I think. It's, it's so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, who, who needs brutal? Yeah, just a little drain, yeah. drain, drain life. Yeah. I agree with you completely, Jeremy, that this, this was a unit that I mean, in, in the old Twilight Kin, Summoner Crones defined Twilight Kin with the Wicked Miasma rule where you could throw your Drain Life further onto, um, onto certain units. And so it, it, I was almost worried when we started to design this that Summoner Crones would just lose all that identity. Um, but actually, I think they really kept it, and it's, it's a very cool rule now. It's almost a shame <laughs> that it's so good, is the Wicked Miasma rule, because actually there's you know a 55-point inspiring caster is just brilliant in itself. Um, and, you know, Bale mm-hmm. of Shadows is a good choice on there. I really actually like Barkskin um, for Twilight Kin, just when you've got certain units that you just really could do with staying around. Barkskin on, like, Phantoms is just hilarious. Um, that when you can start, you know, knocking them up yeah. to, you know, if you get three hits on that and all of a sudden you're effectively a field of and you can just, you can ruin someone's day when it's like, yeah, you're crushed two, melee three hard isn't actually guaranteed to blow through that in one go anymore. Are your double rallied fleet wardens with, you know, defense four bark skinning those guys? You know? All those options are brilliant, but it's just like, it's so hard to ignore the fact that weakness is really good. Right. Yeah. It's really yes. good. But I think you guys bring up a good point is that you can't, you, you really shouldn't, I don't think, think about it as lightning bolt four that has all these benefits. Those are all great, but it really is. The, the damage to me is like the whipped cream on top. It's the fact that, I can weaken your stuff that you're shooting at me. I can weaken your Dracon horde. So if you charge into, you know, I think the weakness itself is so good. The damage just is like the the chef's kiss, but I think just the weakness by itself works really well. There'll be times where you'll want to use it as lightning bolt, and there'll be, but much more often, mm-hmm. you know, you'll want to be use it for the for the for weakness <laughs> as its effect, and it'll just happen to be right. you know, extra damage. I mean, that's what the Twilight can do, right? It changes the opponent's math nonstop. Yes. Uh-huh. I've just seen myself when I first started using these guys, I would tend to, instead of spreading out the weakness and counting on that by the end of the game, I'm going to chip everything down. You'd put your crones into all of them sh- shoot weakness at a piece of chaff, which granted, maybe if you get lucky or whatever, you can kill it. But I think you got to think about, of course, if you can win a scenario by using it as damage, great. But I think your initial thing should be, what are the most effective targets for me to add weakness to? And then ask your question about where where do I put the damage? That should be sort of the second question you ask, not the first one. It's sometimes forgotten that weakness works for um, ranged shooting as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so minus one to damage, and you've got stealthy and maybe spellwood. <laughs> it's just... That's what I use it early game on is I shoot everything that you have that can shoot me. I'm weaknessing. Gledstalkers are a wonderful target for, <laughs> for weakness. Wonderful target for, <laughs> for weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're low defense too. So that means that you're going to not only get damage across, but then when they're shooting back at you, like right with stealthy or cover or whatever, it makes your weak weaker units able to survive. A right. That's this. So the weakness on the, the crones is kind of where I'm like, okay, Lathiel Bleakheart is not as obligatory as she used to be because I can hit multiple shooting units with the weakness, right? I've actually dropped her because of that. That <laughs> she's she's so D- good, ditto, but she ditto. doesn't have weakness. <laughs> and I was like, right, exactly. And I was like, I think I'd rather have weakness. 
let's talk about that because in my original list, I had the triplets and Lafayette, and then I be then I made the switch, dropped Lafayette, and I picked up a Soulbane on a Nightmare for a scoring unit to go with my mutants. But uh, you ask yourself that question, right? Three triplets is amazing. Three triplets and Lafayette. Lafayette is still amazing, but yet again, that's 150 points in an unlock that doesn't score. That with the Navigator and the crones you're sort of getting what lafayette gives you from these what else is she bringing that i need to have is that a question you guys sort of asked yourself in playing with lafayette it is if for whatever reason you weren't bringing navigators off whatever reason you didn't have chaff then she can actually be a, a cost saving in that sense in the fact if you if you want to just rely on the stealthy aura and she's really really good well she does have bane chant three right which is is a tool yeah and and you, you're never going to argue with it she's a really good choice <laughs> but yeah there's just She's in a very crowded field. Yeah, I mean, this is like you're at the sorority house and there's a lot of uh, ladies you want to ask out uh, for a romantic evening. So she's got more competition now than maybe she did. Her special rule giving elite to spells in some armies would be filth. And I think actually in Twilight in here, it's probably right. not. There's not many casters that are going to pile onto one unit in quite the same way. And certainly not the shooting that's going to... Unless you're leaning into the Weaver spam. But even then, I think only the Fireball Weaver spam would be really effective there because it is relatively short range. I agree. But all of a sudden, actually, then, your Fireball Weaver spam is looking pretty tasty. I agree. <laughs> that's kind of a build I was thinking is like, okay, if you had Lathiel and some Fireball Weavers, and then you can all just unload into a, a single unit. And then, and then in theory, Windblast it works. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And if you're leading into the Corsairs, right, and you want them to have Stealthy too, she's a good piece for that, right? Because the Navigator Stealthy Aura doesn't give Stealthy to the Corsairs. It's giving that to the Void Touched. So again, Lafayette at 150. She's a great choice, right? I mean, we all know Windblast is a very powerful tool late game. Banechan, it helps us a little bit with getting through that defense five and six. But it's just hard for me to give up one of my crones with weakness to think about getting in because weakness is just so good. Yeah, it really it really just synergizes so well with the list. So we've talked a little bit about the navigator. You know, he's got the three auras where he can either give this Night Stalker stuff, Life Leech, he can give the Void Touch, Stealthy, and Spell Ward, which remember, you're not just giving Stealthy, you're giving Stealthy and Spell Ward, which is really nice. Or you're giving Vicious to all your uh, Twilight Elf. Uh, what do we think about the navigator? And let's bring in the conversation to, we've mentioned the Void Captain on foot. Let's also uh, talk about the Skiff versions of these characters. What do we think about the Navigator? Uh, the Skiff version, you pay a little extra. It goes up to 110 points, but he's getting unit strength one because she's on a boat. There it is, on a boat. I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I think this has got to get into my army, too. Oh, geez, Louise. Uh, on a t-shirt, Jeremy. <laughs> on a boat. Oh, man. I just love this army, man. So they have pick up a couple of the deck guns, deck snipers, right? Four attacks, piercing one. What do we think about the navigator and what do we think about the void skiff option for the navigator? I feel like the navigator is the other like key capstone yeah. unit here, right? What they bring to Twilight Kin is unique to them. So, I mean, it really amps up all of your other units. I think you got to have one, right? At least one. Probably one is the right number. Yeah, the individual, I think one is the right number. I think I've been playing around with two of the Envoy's gifts just because unbelievably efficient, cheap scoring units. 
that actually are quite mm-hmm. tasty in the flank of chargers to support combats and melee melee four elite and thunderous two is not nothing when you get eight attacks in the flank totally and they've got the you know the, the piercing shots and all this sort of stuff so and if yeah. they're doing the vicious aura right they're giving it to themselves too exactly. so then they're, elite, they're elite and vicious if you're struggling with points the individual version is just very very good for 60 points you know even with icy breath it's just like it's a it's almost like a free nice thing to have i'm curious how many people will forget he yeah. or she even has icy breath right <laughs> <laughs> but actually you know it's a thing it technically exists it's varian talisman or the sacred horn or just you know i, I play halflings picky poison it's like it's you, you'll whichever one you've got you wish you had the other and you'll go back and forth constantly between those two yeah right i think that's uh, that's the thing right is there's a lot of it depends on how character heavy you go, how much inspiring you'll have. So, will you will you invest in inspiring on the navigator, or just will you you buff up the uh, the range on the auras? I mean, if you're taking two, then I think obviously one of them is going to inspire. So, I don't think you'll ever go wrong. I wonder if we take him to be cheap, or there's a couple of items that make sense to me on this guy, right? Which is the foot version. I've run him with loot. Right, just to give you a bane chant. Him behind makes sense, right? Behind some impalers, very very solid impalers mm-hmm. chant. When I put him on the skiff, I tend to like the sacred horn a little bit better because with the bigger uh, chariot size, it allows me to get that aura really big. So then, if he needs to go off and fight something, he still is this someone that we want to give an item to, or do we just keep? Do we just take him just super cheap? Well, I do. I do think. I do think you want to give him something else to do, right? I mean, I know he, the that they have the icy breath with the foot-mounted one, but um, whether he's inspiring or a, a bigger aura, and again, because the infantry, like the mutants and the weavers, are on heavy infantry bases, and then the impalers being on monstrous, monstrous infantry bases, that aura is not as big as it would be otherwise, right? So that sacred horn actually does come into play quite a bit. And the table can get crowded quite fast, actually, and, and fitting that chariot base in can become a problem of where you want it, because as you say, there's some bigger bases than you expect, actually. Which I like. And you've often got more units than you sort of you think you will, because that MMU style is, is real for Twilight Kin. So that nine inches can be can be helpful. So I started with loot, but the more that I think about it, the more I'm sort of like beginning to kind of lean towards the Sacred Horn as the better option, just for that very reason. If I could get him... The loot is good. The loot is good. The only problem is it is Bane Chant 2, and we all know like... And we've got Bane Chant 3 on a crone. Crone's, the crones are casting weakness. They're busy. <laughs> They're doing both if they have the amulet, right? Well, that's another tool. I just know with the horn, I'm getting value from it all the time. No matter what, I can't roll bad to screw that up. Whereas with like <laughs> Bane Chant, it's like I'm my I am my own captain of my own destiny, you know. But I think they're both probably good. Um, like you said, Bane Chanting Impalers, I think, really changes that profile, especially when you have them uh, under vicious. I think 18 on threes with Elite crushing two as compared to crushing one when you mm-hmm. know you're rolling into a vicious to wound roll the value from that is like skyrocket so when you do hit those bane chance it does change the definition of combat with those matchups so maybe it's worth the risk of failing it to have the option that when you do hit bane chant with loot on an impaler horde it really does change the texture of that combat yeah i mean it really is a decision right i mean it's definitely a choice yeah inspiring bane chant Bigger, bigger range on the auras. Those are all options that you would legitimately consider. There isn't a wrong answer or even a right answer. Or, or exactly, there's no one right answer. And I think that's pervasive through the entire Twilight Kin list. There's no one right answer. There's a lot of right answers. 
Yeah, lots lots of ways to say yes in this list. We've talked about the navigator on the void skip. What do we think about the void captain on the void skip? You know, a, a, a granted, it's the same sort of similar. You're paying a little bit more points for this guy at 190. A little bit more. It's a lot more. <laughs> that's, that's where I fall on it. It's a lot of points. Whereas the navigator to the navigator on void skip isn't as big a jump as the void captain to the mm-hmm. void captain on void skip. But you're getting almost like a mini dragon that's on a chariot base. It's sort of, it, it's fitting in that you know, Gordrake level of points. Uh, you can't, uh, and if you, if, if the 190 is not enough for you, you can, you can uh, uh, upgrade him to uh, Vice Admiral Phoebus Darkheart, which he gets very inspiring, more thunderous charge and headstrong aura. Um, I like this guy, but at 190, I have yet to have a list that I've been able to make him into, let alone make him into it with the, with the upgrade. He feels expensive, and I, I know factually he's not because I, because I've been back and checked <laughs> several times on the calculator. Because as I can say, I look at this guy and go, "Wow, he's a lot of points." I mean, when you compare him to say like the general long wing beast or that that kind of profile, that kind of smaller dragon, you can really see where the cost has come from because he is cheaper. They're say about two hundred and five points at that that level of flyer, you know. But he's lost some speed, quite a lot of speed. He's lost defense. He's lost a crushing, but you know the gaining, the shooting attack, and gaining elite, and it all does balance out. To me, the final product isn't something that I would think is worth taking. It's just it's a lot of points for a very perfectly good unit, but it's never going to set the world on fire. Right. It's respectable, right? And yes, the points make sense for it, but I mean, at speed seven, it's hard to project that threat for that points. Yeah. I think I'd rather just take the um, the Godric. It, it does the same role better because the shooting. It, it's this. It's this mixed mixed role unit, isn't it? It's like seven attacks on falls is brilliant, but I'd rather be charging when I've got all these other rules and stats. And it's um, yeah. And I think Aura Headstrong, brilliant. A, a unit that already feels too expensive, even if it's not. And making it more expensive and making it even more. But the minute thing I'll ever get one in my list, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think you could do some cool stuff modeling with this, right? on how you would make uh, a void skip look unique with the captain on it. But I'm uh, if you're looking just at straight points, I think you very astutely look at the Gordrake and this are very similar. And uh, I don't know. I think the Gordrake gives you a little bit more options, um, a little bit more reliability. A little longer threat range. A little you longer threat two, range. You, know. you, got, you got Strider, which, does, which is not nothing. A well-costed, correctly-costed unit. This unit sort of stands out to me as I think we've talked a little bit about external balance of the list. How does a list balance to other things? But also internal internal balance, where you want the things in the list to be all interesting and viable. And not to say that this isn't viable, but on that spectrum of why would I take x in the list when i can take y this to me is really the only thing that jumped out to me is like there's other things in the list that i would rather take for this same role as opposed right. to you does that make sense yep and I, th- I think there might be a build out there somebody's gonna do like a pirate build right with a bunch of void gift units and flyers and phantoms and soul flares soul and flares, yeah. a, a void lurker and a gore drake and maybe this guy is a flying pirate captain that can go around with all those units so i think there probably is a build out there that uh, this guy will fit into it's not so far off the mark that if you took this year full it's mm-hmm. just as you say, it, it, there, I, I can't really figure on why. There's just something I look at it and go, nah. Got other options that I'd like better. But again, he's he's totally fine. <laughs> Nothing wrong with him. 
Well, let's take a look at, I love the model for this, and I know this is uh, the non-character version of this, the Impaler on the Soulbane. That's straight up Elliot's heart because that was his little baby in the, in, in the big red book was the Impaler on a Nightmare. Uh, so I know that, the, the, that this is a, a close to your heart unit, but let's talk about that. So we have the Impaler on a Nightmare, or Soulbane on a Nightmare, which I love the fact, I love the Nightmare, I love Soul Flares, I love that they went ahead and taken the sort of Soulbane or a hero who used to be mounted on a Dreadfiend and just put it on a Nightmare. I think that is just a cool model and just thematic choice. It's basically the same unit, but let's just put it on a Nightmare instead of a Dreadfiend. But the regular one, 155, speed 8, melee 3, defense 5, 6 attacks on a 14, 16, height 4, right, which is very important with this style unit. Uh, nimble, inspiring, elite, dread which I think, again, when you're thinking about Twilight Kid messing with all your stuff, playing with all your toys, uh, Dread is a, a way to do that. Uh, crushing Strength 2, but I don't know. At 155, I still like this guy. I, I loved him in the last version of Twilight Kid, and I still love him in this version. In a list where almost nothing is standard, this guy feels almost generic and boring. <laughs> he does, right? He's not. He's brilliant. It's just that he has a more recognizable profile to almost anything else in the list. Dread pairs beautifully with... The, the weakness damage, you know, it's effectively minus two, minus three nerve at that point. It's just terrifying. Um, I really like these, obviously. I'm a little bit biased. Um, they're just solid and reliable. And again, another bit of speed that you don't typically have. They Their role has changed. I used to run these alongside the Abyssal Horsemen, and they worked really well in partnership with them in the old Twilight Kin list. Their role has changed now to be more that, I think, Lone Wolf stand of a bit, a bit more threat projection or just trying to nip into flanks here and there. Um, they're going to be competing very much so with the Impaler Soulbanes in terms of a role. And I think what I like about them is there's a very distinct thing of, well, do you want the speed or do you want to be punchier? And you can kind of pick your poison. I think these guys are necessary, but they do give you something that can run around the field on their own where everything else requires support or some kind of nearby synergy to take advantage of where the Impaler or the Soulbane on a Nightmare is kind of self-sufficient, can kind of go do his own thing is great for going out and capturing pillage objectives or something like that across the board where he doesn't need to be with the rest of your army necessarily. So I think that does add something that the list is, is typically missing in large i like him too with mutants right he's something that as far as if you want if you want to run double mutants or whatever and you need something inspiring or something to support them just to make sure that they kill on that first round just hedge that their their damage just a smidge with dread i like running like two regiments of mutants with a soul bane on a nightmare in between them as are behind them because he can nimble charge around them is a nice little combat group there's the solid and there's, not, there's nothing not to like about them i don't think so. And then we have Mickey back, Mikael, Lord of Nightmares, who uh, has gone to a large cavalry profile. So that's that same unit size uh, uh, footprint as this Soulbane on Nightmare, but for 235. So you're paying more, you're paying a chunk more over the 155. But with that, you're going to get um, three more attacks. He goes to nine attacks. Still crushing uh, Strength 2, Dread, Elite, but he's Dash 17 and has Iron Resolve is stealthy, very inspiring. And then he still picks up his sword of Umbra. So he still has that sort of special rule 
the Sword of Umbra, which when while attacking enemies, heroes, monsters, or titans, he's gaining Slayer 3, so he's still adding extra attacks. But now that he's on a large cavalry base, he has the ability, which is terrifying, to double attacks now, right? To become like a buffed Impaler Horde all by himself. I will just point out one thing. He also has the Corsair keyword. Yes, he's got all the words, all the keywords. Yeah, he does. He, he is Cronebound. He is a Twilight Elf. He is uh, Corsair. He is Void Touch. So whatever. Oh, man. So I didn't ra- even... Rally that bastard as much as <laughs> oh, you want. <laughs> I didn't even think about rallying him. Oh, my God, dude. That's that's we're talking some business here. My opinion of the old version of Mikael in Twilight Kin, the previous version was that he was brilliant. He wasn't better enough than a Soulbane to be worth the increase in points. Uh, my opinion has not changed. <laughs> he's He's brilliant. Yeah, he's a lot more points. He is a lot of points, and I think that's the balancing factor, right? I mean, he's appropriately pointed. Very appropriately costed. So it is actually a choice. It's a real choice, but he can he can only be in one place at a time. So that's that's the decision you have to make. But he is very good. I mean, he's a he's a baby dragon. That's right. I kind of compare him to the uh, to the Frostfang Lords, right? He's a mini dragon running around the board. I don't think he'd ever be a bad choice. Yes, I really don't. I think it's it's this thing of do you have spare points to upgrade him effectively? He fulfills a, a quite a similar role to the Soulburn on Nightmare, except you just want you're gonna want him to be doing more because he's too expensive just to be holding an objective. He needs to be involved, he's got to be doing stuff. Yeah, he's gotta be tanking out units here and there. I like the the sort of umbra's good, yep. but it's it's he's not gonna be taking, you know, big stuff off by himself. It's, you know, he's, he's still only going up to the regular attacks of a dragon. Dragons don't kill things in the front by themselves. And he's not likely to be within the aura range of a navigator most of the time, so he's not getting that benefit either. The model's beautiful. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Oh, it's great. Fantastic model. Kyle had mentioned that they're going to release on the vaults a sort of a, a head swap to make uh, a different look if you want to run, run him as a Soulbane on a Nightmare. Yeah, that's cool. I still plan on just getting Mikael, and I'm just going to run him as either Mikael or a Soulbane on a Nightmare. That, that's my plan. Why not? If you're only going to run one, it doesn't matter if it's one or the other, I think. Right, right. No, I think he's, he. Yeah, like you said, that that 155 on the Soulbane on Nightmare is just such a sweet little points cost that in a list, like again, I think there's a spot for him, but so expensive. And I'm wondering... The bound void lurker kind of does that same thing, which me, which I love it. And the fact that you can make it the pride of the dark fleet where it gains increased nerve and inspiring, amazing. But again, you're once you get up to that 280 points, I, I don't know. What do you guys think about taking the, the void lurker in uh, Twilight Kin? It's a very good dragon. Void lurkers have always been good dragons, in my opinion. I think they're one of the more underrated dragons. Stealthy and regenerative. Just- very, very good rules. The defense fall puts people off a lot, but yeah, the action of an inspiring is good. I don't think it's necessarily a must include. Quite a lot of points. It's on an already expensive unit. Better players than me get a lot of value out of dragons. You'll see people like Tom Robinson, who's currently running double lord on Chimera, which is often seen as like a, a less optimal choice these days of taking big Titan dragons and actually. Tom will just do terrible things to people when he takes them um, because he can get the maximum value out of those units. Personally, I don't think I'm good enough to get the value out of it very often, um, but that's probably a failing on my part rather than the unit. I'm like you, though. My dragons always die, and they never kill anything. <laughs> so I'm just like, they never 
ever, hardly ever do they ever even get yeah. their points back, let alone their points in something. However, if you are going to get this guy, the Byring nerve bump, especially on a flying guy that has yeah, regen. Yeah, for 15 points, sure. That seems like auto, right? If you're going to get that guy, you just click the Pride of the Dark Fleet option. I suppose if, you, if, you, if you're going for it, go for it sort of thing. It's just... Um... Yeah, I mean, that, that, that regen comes into play more often than to get that extra nerve pip on top of you. I suppose to me what I'm looking at is it's the nerve. It's more it's inspiring useful as well because you can run solo. It's how you, how you, you say it's off to you and you, you, you're inspiring yourself as well. My style favors much more towards your cheaper piece of nature style flyers that, I'd, that it doesn't matter if they die quite so much. Um, but that's a me thing rather than a, right. an issue with the, the unit. So myself, I've never used an expensive dragon in any list I've ever played. <laughs> this does add something that the Twilight Kingdom don't have, which is that fast flyer that can go up a flank and start to threaten things down the flank. You never played Scud in your Ratkin, Corey? Uh, okay, that's true, but I never used him as a dragon. He was just an expensive <laughs> lightning bolt. <laughs> okay, like slinging lightning bolt across the board. <laughs> that's true. That is true. So again, same difference with him. He's doing. He's self-sufficient, goes up the flank, can threaten something that most of the rest of your army can't do. So I think the, the Void Lurker does offer something in that capacity. Yeah, if you like that play style, if if you enjoy the dragon down the flank and you can manage those angles and know how to get value and and are comfortable not doing anything for one or two turns because you know in positioning it on turn three, I'm going to get the charge that wins me the game. And I do think that will work because, again, you got the blood hex that you can pop. you got ensnaring everything. You've got weakness all over the place. You should be able to get that void lurker into a good spot and then what make somebody commit where they don't want to commit right so i think that is going to be a viable play style i mean ideally you're making him defense five against whatever you either it's going to fight him in combat or shooting mm-hmm. you're going to weakness whatever the shooting is that's going to try to shoot him so de facto if you're if you're running the triplet crone build right you can yeah, you make have an him- option there yeah, to make him effectively defense five. And then all of a sudden, defense five, 18, 19, self-inspiring regen, <laughs> flying dragon. Sounds pretty good. But it is good. But this is my issue with big dragons, is that all of a sudden then you're now talking five, 600 points of investment. And he's going to be in a wonderful position, but you don't have enough for the rest of your army to maximize on that because you've invested so much into making this happen. And I think personally, that's why I like the cheaper stuff because it's, you can you can get into the same flank, but you don't need to invest your entire army to do it. I, I do think that a even Mikhail, who's cheaper cheaper than a Void Lurker or uh, a just a, a normal Soulbane and a Nightmare can do that job too. And what I was thinking that would be cool with this guy for me, if I would want to take him, is the modeling options. You know, Mantic makes a cool Void Lurker. Great model. What I was thinking for this guy is I would take the 75 millimeter base, right? I would take two skiffs and build them together into one boat and have like a guy on a throne. And so the uh, the pride of the dark fleet, essentially in my <laughs> mind, is not just, it's not a void lurker per se, but it's like the buffed skiff. It's like the flagship of all the skiffs. So I think you could do some like... Jabba the Hutt skiff. Exactly. You know, the party barge, you know, and have some slaves like hanging out. And there's like, I think you could do like a cool, uh, 
uh, you could do some fun modeling stuff. Uh, because I think that's one interesting thing I'm looking forward to seeing is not just people using more Mantic models, but as, as people begin to do, like we haven't seen a lot of cool Mantic conversions yet. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Uh, of people using all Mantic models, but thinking about not just using them, but how can I convert them or what ways can I look at them? You know what I mean? So, so that's one option. You, you could take the flying sphincter monster from Amada and scale it up in the vault. <laughs> no, let's not do that. <laughs> that's another great thing people a lot of people have been doing that right they've especially with the uh, prevalence of the vault right is to take the armada stuff and scale it up hey twilight kin boats are all over now plenty of skiffs plenty of skiffs out there (laughs) i already have the the idea for my display board and my smoke machine so i gotta give (laughs) scott holcomb a run for his money do it do it fantastic we're gonna take a quick break and on the other side we're gonna come back and we're gonna share some lists now that we've talked about all the units let's come back and we'll talk a little bit about actually building some lists we'll be right back hey i'm alessio cavatore and you're listening to counter charge and we are back. Okay, so I thought, I always think it's nice on the tail end of an army review is that you guys have heard all about the individual units. Now let's think about how do we actually put that into application. Elliot, Corey, and myself are going to share some lists. I'll go ahead and go first with my list. This is built off of an archetype that I've been experimenting with, but it's been influenced by our very conversation. So I want to put your guys' beautiful minds uh, into effect right away as I show you this new list. So it's 2,300 points, 15 units with 23 unit strength. So I now have uh, uh, Elliot's chosen host. I have an infantry horde of fleet wardens with blood hex, veterans of the celestial war, and I had an extra five points, so I gave them Liliana's tier so that they cannot be affected by brutal dread. Uh, So just like a little bit of really making them like a tough nut to crack. Um, I then have four troops of weavers without the lightning bolt upgrade. So they're rocking the the fire. So that's fireball 30 between those three troops. Uh, I have two void touch mutants, one with brew of strength because I just got to do it. Like when you can get brew of strength on a regiment platform for that reduced cost, uh, and then I have another one with Brew of Haste. So one a little bit more punchy, one a little bit more faster. Two Phantom Troops, two Impaler Hordes, my Triplets, three Summoner summoner Crones, and my, my after now reading the Twilight Kin lore, my backstory on my Triplets like works even better. So the idea was since the Twilight Kin deal with so much time and space, Twilight Crones that are born as either twins our triplets are more powerful than the ones born by themselves. And the reason why is a twin crone, they know their future and they know their present. Whereas a triplet, you have three ideas of a same continuous timeline of a person. They know their past, their present, and their future. So triplets are the most powerful of the Twilight Kin spellcasters. That's in my lore. So that's why I have three. It has nothing to do with how good they are. Uh, it's all uh, fluff reasons. But I have my three, su- my three summoner crones with weakness. And then I have a soul bane on nightmare to go along with my uh, mutants. And then the list is finished off with the navigator on a void skiff with the sacred horn. So 15 drops, 23 unit strength, a little bit of shooting, a little bit of punching, a big horde anchor with the fleet wardens. Also, model-wise, I get my Soul Bane on a Nightmare model. I get a Skiff with my Navigator on a Skiff, so I can at least get one Skiff. I get the Impalers, I get Phantoms, I get Mutants, I get Weavers, and then I get a, a Horde of Infantry. 
So I feel like model-wise, I'm sort of hitting all the models I want to use. Anyway, so that's the list. I like it. That, that's, is it that's a lot of fireball. And that's the point where fireball tips over to being really quite scary. It is a lot of fireball. So I'm going to give it a shot because I had never thought prior to this conversation, and I may edit that part out so that everyone else doesn't learn the secret <laughs> now that we know. I never even thought about trying it with just the fireball, but I'm going to I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a shot and see how it goes. When do you guys want to go next? I had been toying with the the MMU idea because I really do think there's a lot of value in the regiments for all the different units. So. I started off with two Voidwalker units, both with Snare Nets and Blood Hex. And then I've got two Fleet Warden Regiments with the same thing, the uh, Veterans and Blood Hex upgrade. We've got a Mutant Regiment with the Staying Stone. We've got two Bound Phantoms uh, as troops. I've got a Regiment of Impalers. And then a regiment of the Void Skiffs with a Blood Hex and the Harpoons, uh, and then gave them the Boots of Striding. I've got a Navigator with the uh, Loot. I've got a Void Captain with the plus three or plus two attacks uh, and the Blade of the Beast Slayer. I've got two Summoner Crones with Weakness. We've got Mikael, and then I've got the formation with the uh, both of the Fleet Warden troops with uh, Blood Hex and the uh, Nerve Bump, so the veterans. So, again, lead, leaning into that rally and rallying Mikael is kind of pretty tasty, too. So, it's 17 units, which is a lot for Twilight Kid. a lot of units A lot for of units yeah. and 26 unit strength. Whew, that's a lot of units and unit strength for an elf build. Yeah. I like it. And I imagine that type of list, too, the more you play, it has like a, a high skill gap, but a high uh, net return. Like the better you get navigating all those units, the better the army is going to play. So- uh, that's, that's the idea, right? Yeah, any any MMU build, I think, has that skill gap, right? You've got to play it and play it well because everything does a little something. Yeah, there's not any Hail Mary unit that you know once you get that one charge with that one unit, it can turn the tide. Whereas this one, I imagine you got to set everything up, look for those flanks, you know, play it smart. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So I've, I've gone the other way from the view. So I've, I've got 14 drops and only 23 unit strength. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the Fleet Warden Horde so much that I went for two. I, w- I was running one and it was just being the MVP of so many games. So I've got two Fleet Warden Hordes, both with Blood Hex and Veterans of Celestial War and nothing else on them. Um, surprisingly hammery, but also very defensible units. It, it's just very tempting to run them side by side. There's just lots of armies that just cannot deal with all of that that nerve and, and damage output. I've then got a troop and two regiments of the mutants, one with the Brew of Haste, one with Mead of Badness, two troops of phantoms, a regiment of Void Skiffs for exactly the reason we said is that I had 160 points left in my list. Um, no unlocks left. And it was, okay, well, what do I put in that will do something and isn't just a throwaway unit so that the Skiffs went in? Uh, I've got the mandatory planar apparition, uh, Void Captain with Reaver of the Middle Sea and the Scythe of the Harvester, um, just to really tip up the um, two hordes to be able to take out almost anything. Just the one Summoner Crone um, mounted with weakness, uh, a Soulburn on Nightmare, and two Navigators on Void Skiffs, one with the Inspiring Talisman and one with the Sacred Horn, because I couldn't choose, so I went for both. And to be honest, they've been more useful as unit strength as much as anything else, and just more scoring units because I've got fewer units than you guys. And in like big hard footprints or stuff that's like the mutants do not survive the game by any stretch. Like they they kill a lot of stuff and they die. 
Right, right. You've got to have something that can test those objectives, right? So actually, those two have been... They're, they're the two that actually win games and everything else. <laughs> kill stuff. You know, the hard centers of I've actually they're very hard to kill, but they, they get boxed into one place and they just jump around at the end along with the mind screech and score objectives and do that sort of stuff. So it, it's a lot of fun. I, I love how different all three of our lists were. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's the theme, right? It all works. That's one of the takeaways after I think it's why building lists for this faction is so exciting and why uh, if you're getting in the Twilight Kin, you probably have a ton of lists saved on the companion is because there's so many different ways to approach it. And there isn't just like a default. You should either do A or B and then that's it. You have a lot of options. So I think that speaks to the health of the list. That right, yeah, it's, it's just good list design, right? So lot, lots of viable options, lots of viable builds. What do we think about matchups as we sort of wrap up the show as far as maybe some factions that we're good against or that we would struggle with? I know in early playtesting, when I've leaned in more into the Weaver, Summoner, Crone, uh, uh halflings can be a uh, uh, spell word can be an issue right halflings can be tough if we're if we're playing like super heavy defense six like i'm thinking of the nature build with uh, uh defense six elementals backed up by the glade walker druid double casting heal defense six is going to be tough right because just don't have a ton to cut through all of that it's basically a weight of dice thing i'm just going to throw enough dice and roll enough and then keep re-rolling it and hope i can cut through the defense six right so i think dwarves will also be a, a tough nut to crack in the same vein empire of death of death or empire of empire death, of death. <laughs> yes i agree i agree <laughs> i just had like my uh macbeth witch uh premonition of me dying to empire of dust but like the empire of death dust with like the death box right that has has all that defense, like a Shobik or a reanimated behemoths or uh, regen mummies, you know, stuff like that, where none of the weakness damage can stay on anything. Dwarves definitely going to be a tough one because throwing dogs will also do a number on a lot of Twilight Kin units. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Shooting in general can be tricky. It depends which way you've gone with your build. So many things when you talk about matchups of Twilight Kin will be depending on what, what way you've gone. Because I think you can build to mitigate certain things. Like you can go all in with Lathiel and some navigators and really blunt a shooting army. Or you can go another way and try, okay, I'm going to build to take on an Alpha Strike army, right? With lots of phalanx and spearmen. And so I'm going to just, I can take all the Alpha Strike to the front and I'm fine. Depending on what which way you've built, the mirror match can be a really hard fight for Twilight Kin. <laughs> yeah. When we were first testing it, Obviously, everyone wants to play the new toys, so it was, there was a lot of Twilight Kid mirror matches. And um, if if you've built one way or the other, built the other, I mean, Defense Four does not like reliable dice, <laughs> so a lot of attacks are low crushing, but elite and vicious can just chew through your own units very, very fast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the mirror match can be hard, hard going. If you've if you if you're on the the bad end of the um, <laughs> the spectrum for you know for for what what. What units you've chosen, it can be hard, hard to play. An interesting idea might be, and this is sort of the um, the chess stance around meta building, which is listen to what the community thinks or perceive the strengths to be of Twilight Kin, whether or not those are the strengths. Think about what the strengths are perceived to be, and then think about what people might do to defeat those strengths, and then you defeat, then you plan to defeat that thing right that's the whole like uh you never invade russia in the winter like i know that you know that i know 
you know, uh, of, of list design. But that's something to think about is that I think there's going to be a lot of people playing Twilight Kin and a lot of people prepping to play against Twilight Kin. I think it's going to be an element of the meta. I, th- I think that's right. Everybody's going to build to beat the boogeyman and people are going to see that Twilight Kin are the boogeyman. But again, there's so many different ways to build it that I don't think you can just prep for Twilight Kin. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard faction to, to okay, what am I going to what what am I gonna build to make sure that Twilight Kin doesn't beat me? Well, Twilight Kin could be, look, we're all good players who play in tournaments and at high levels and all our lists are completely different. So it's going to be difficult to, I think, fully play against. So it's going to be something something to think about for sure. The one thing with Twilight Kin is it, it follows that same similar strategy like empire of dust or forces of the abyss right they are a very compact army so everybody wants to be close to each other so they're going to advance in a box so i think scenarios too that force you to spread out might be somewhat difficult for twilight kin which is again why i think phantoms are obligatory (laughs) in a twilight kin list and and also the the new changes to the clash king scenario where like push tokens can only be on one unit at a time that that's going to yep. change yeah. a lot of how it's going to change how a lot of armies play. But that's why I like going to have to be, think cleverly about that because a lot of builds will just have a token carrying unit. Yeah, you can't have that anymore. Fortunately, I think a lot of the Twilight Kim units are great token holders, right? That's why you have two uh, Impaler hordes and a Planner Apparition. <laughs> Bob's are up all the Your three token token holders. Plug in Terror and go. Oh, yeah, exactly. Two Impaler hordes and a Terror in between them or a Terror supporting them is another great battle group. But you bring up a good point of when we're thinking about this unit, I don't know. It feels like it wants to deploy... denied flank to me where you pick a sort of middle of the board or whatever and then you go all the way one way i don't think it wants to maybe like other elf builds or other uh uh, uh, it doesn't want to deploy wide it wants to stay sort of compact is that your sense too keep it compact keep it tight yeah so the the list i run through kind of it runs as two battle groups obviously the two hordes tend to stay together with the support units around it and the mutants run as a separate group but even then, both those groups have got to stay close to each other, and I, I, I will never cover the board. I, I basically have the Solbane takes the other flank and does his best, basically. Just, just to yeah, you're right. All, all he can do is just yeah. delay and and stop my opponent just having that for free. But I'm, you know, it, it's I'm never ever going to be able to cover everything all at once. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's where and, and scenario wise, thinking about scenario, I think that. Control, you're just going to try to punch through, right? And maybe if you're you're taking the skiffs, those might be a good like dash out and get into another board quarter. Or the Gordrake at unit strength two. That's what I'm curious to see. This change, the unit strength two on Titans, on whether or not that's going to see people wanting to take them only so that they no longer can your opponent with the one unit strength monster or hero on a large whatever hold a board space. Uh, I wonder if we're going to see more titans with the unit strength change uh you know that's going to be interesting or with the war machines with um you know uh being able to hold objective uh tokens anyway with their uh secure positions um but so far i i think the army plays relatively well in most scenarios um the issues that i've had in some scenarios it's the same issue that a lot of armies have which is by the end of the game you end up having a lot of characters and not so much scoring left, or at least the builds that I've been running when you're running the Navigator and Triple Crone. 
you have a chance to not have a lot of units left on the board. But do you guys see a scenario in general or uh, that maybe the army would struggle in? I mean, I think it seems to play most scenarios pretty well. I think the bluff token scenarios will be tough just because the list itself doesn't lend itself to reacting and spreading across the board, right? Yeah, it's, it's a bit like the dwarf problem, isn't it? Of you, You're not bluffing. I know exactly yes. where you're going because you've lined up in front of these tokens and there's no way you're jumping across the other side of the board. That being said, I, I, I agree. I think it can probably play all scenarios fairly well. That's why I've moved more and more towards picking the, the unit strength scoring characters because I found that because I've got fewer units and they are either dead or stuck in combat, that actually all those support things need to be doing something else at the end of the game as well. They need to be scoring. Yeah, that's a good call. But it's, um, yeah, good point. Good point. It, it's not quite like Ogres can do, where everything just scatters and scores everything at the end, but it's it, it's, a, it's a good level of that, actually. it's um, Yeah, it's it, the individuals are brilliant, but it's it, again, it's, it's that compromise each time of do you take more individuals and actually then you're giving up on that scoring ability. Yeah, I call that the Cornwell maneuver. Jesse was so good at that when you play against him and Ogres where you think you're winning and then at the end he's like, okay, flag guy, flag guy's going to go over here. This guy's going to go over here. Oh, I totally just whooped your ass. You think you're doing so well. <laughs> and then you're not. <laughs> then you're not. Oh. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you coming on. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed listening to the show and at least have a, a good sort of some some safe harbors. Uh, pun intended to launch your fleets from in regards to doing some list building but again so many pirate puns coming totally i, I just can't wait to, to take the jeremy singing roadshow on the road with dream weavers and um you know uh, all the uh, uh the songs pirate shanties but i one thing for me is a takeaway is that it's a great model range it's cool fluff it's an army that allows a lot of unique play styles it's one that rewards good play, but can be punished by mistakes, which to me, that's what I love in armies that are going to reward me for when I play well and punish me when I play badly, as they should. Uh, and I think this is a faction that can do those things. I don't think it, be, it will just be an easy one for people to pick up and, and go to town with, that's for sure. But I'm excited for the models, and I'm excited to build. I, I think it's one that's going to take It's going to take time for people to really get another army i think i think it's um i think some people are going to be surprised they're going to look at it and and see the individual sat lines i think this is going to be the hotness straight away and then they're going to lose the first few games and think oh no i'm wrong and never look at it again and i think it will take time for people to realize actually how powerful this list can be i think it'll be a lot like the halflings right halflings took a long time for people to figure out and now we're, we're seeing the melting pot of that army now coming to the surface where now we're seeing a lot of competitive halfling builds you know and I think it's the same thing. And I think a lot of it too reminds me, and I mentioned it on the show before, when we could uh, teleport vampires behind your lines. And for two weeks, that was like all the hotness was every single list is going to have a teleporting vampire. And that lasted for like a week. No one did it once at a tournament. Yeah, exactly. Everyone on the surface. And I remember on UB, every single room you'd go into had a teleported vampire. And it was like, it was going to be the game defining thing. No. So you just never know until something's released into the wild, right? What is fully going to organically grow out of that. So I, again, six months from now, you know, who knows what we'll see Twilight can build. All I can say is that I've, I'm continuously losing with them on UB right now. <laughs> and I have a blast. I have fun every time. So if it's a list where I can have fun losing all the time, then there you go. Sign me up. So uh, it's not, I think it's going to be a list that's really going to reward you once you figure it out. But 
it's not as easily a solvable puzzle as it, it may look like on paper, I think. Elliot, since I have you on, how is, it looks like Nick is still being a good champion and you guys are still doing firefight stuff. How's the firefight stuff coming? Yeah, so we've got, um, so the, the event, I'm, I should plug in and I remember what it is now. Uh, so the, the Northern King Kong on the 24th or 26th of November in Wakefield in the UK, it, it's, it's a multi system event over the whole weekend so we've got the friday is oh, kings cool. of war ambush nice. and firefight quick fire we're calling it which is like i think 500 points of firefight saturday is kings of war singles and firefight singles of which i am really happy to say at the minute we have equal ticket sales for both which is ace uh and then the sunday is kings of war doubles and dead zone which again, the, the, the doubles is just pipping out there. So Firefighter is officially a better game than Dead Zone. But we, we've got good numbers. I think I think we're up to Dean, I think, for the Firefight, which is, is really great to see. That is great. Getting people to play it has been not a slog, that's the wrong word, but I think it's just reminding people the game is there and, and slowly building that momentum. It's it's a really good game and the, the rules committee have done a fantastic job with the most recent balance pattern of kind of taking what was a game with amazing potential that just had a few rough edges. And I think in my opinion, they've kind of, They've got everything this this first time around. It's a really good, really balanced game now. It's um, it's exactly what I want from my sci-fi skirmish game. Yeah, I feel like second edition really was like, let's release it. And in many ways, it was like the open beta test. And I feel like Command Protocols has solved so many of the critiques that you maybe had. But I think it's a great game system. I think it's one of those things, like I said about Kings, if you can get sci-fi people to at least play it once or twice, they're going to see... I mean, it is just such a well-designed game. It is so much fun. It is a lot of fun. It's just, um, we ran an event a few months ago um, with a lot of people. It was their brand new first event. And it was just, I say, just the laughter in the room. It's it's not a take it too seriously game, but that doesn't mean it's not competitive and, and, and you know, you need to be. But it's just it's just fun. And that's the best, probably the best way to describe it. And what about you, Corey? What's on your radar? Uh, well, so let's see. I'll, I'll plug Crossroads. So next year... So- September 28th and 29th. Uh, that'll be Crossroads next year. It's exactly one month after uh, the American Masters. So we'll have spots for 120 people next year. So I'd like to keep growing. We had 96 players this year. So looking to, to keep that number going up, up, up. And what are your thoughts? There is now rumblings that we may be developing a Crossroads-style tournament for the western part of the United States where we will steal all your stuff. That's fine. <laughs> that is fine. You're, you're okay with that? <laughs> Honestly, t- team events are my favorite, right? And that's why that's why we turned Crossroads into a team event because it is so much fun. And I know it's it's hard for everybody, especially on the West Coast, to get out this way. We just have a lot of players who want to go to Crossroads or play in that style of event. So we're thinking that we might sort of uh, – and we, and we don't have a doubles or any team events on the Western half of the country. It's all singles event. So we've been talking a lot. Uh, we feel that there is a market and there's a space for that style of event and you run it so well, you know, uh, what do they say? Uh, copying is the best form of flattery. We're That's just going right. to steal all your shit. And then we're, just, we're going to have the tournament pack. It will say Crossroads will be crossed out. And <laughs> we'll, you know, That'd be great, actually. Whatever, whatever. No, seriously. And then whatever our tournament will be listed like below that. West Coast. Uh, yeah, uh, should, exactly. I, should I franchise now? 
Yeah, you should. We'll have to pay you a, a service 2% on each entry. My royalties like McDonald's. Here royalties. we go. Exactly. <laughs> no, but, it's uh, so much fun. You guys will have a great time with it. So I, I love it, man. And I hope to see you next year. We just I just recorded, Elliot, an episode with Steve and Mark about UK Clash of Kings. But it's my goal to try to get out to UK Clash of Kings next year. No, oh, brilliant! No, you must you must come. I, I I would say to everybody, I know I know it's not the easiest for everyone around the world to come to the UK, but if you're going to come to anything, come to Clash of Kings because it is. I've I've been playing Kings a long time now. I started right at the very beginning, in a second, obviously not not as long as some, but as a celebration of Kings of War and the Hobbit and everyone there, it was just the atmosphere was fantastic. It was a genuine, real competitive tournament, but just seeing 150 people playing in one room together and so many full Mantic armies and the hobby standard was just, I don't, I don't want to speak ill of the UK, but we struggle sometimes with hobby standard versus what you guys have in the US, but actually people brought their air game to, to clash. It was fantastic. The pictures were really amazing just to see everything. I've never seen somebody more stressed than Steve Hildreau trying to judge best painted on the, the, the overnight decision of him just heading his hands going, what the hell do I do, Elliot? And that's your problem. <laughs> oh that's that's the worst this is the worst well in a, i mean you guys are a relatively you know uh i don't know small medium-sized country but when you have an event where you have dan reed paul welsh and chris walsh all there that's like three people who could win a best paint award at any event in the whole world and they're all at one one tournament and, and even sort of below those three guys because obviously they, they were the competing for the best best time at this event but Steve said and actually gave out, I think it was six other awards that said that that was it. And it was, it was at, at any other event, you would have won Best Painted. That's how good your army was. And you, you're, I'm sorry to say, you're not even in contention for the top three here. And these, you know, th- these were the best of the best. And not just, not just good for the UK standards. So it's, it's lovely to see the hobby moving on, but also lovely to see that there was loads of armies there that weren't that. And it's just, just bring what you've got. Yeah, I, w- I would really invite the world and say, please do come along. It's uh, Nottingham's a fantastic city for it, and it's kind of the the home of a lot of wargaming. To me, it's like there's certain things if you're into wargaming, you should go to once in your life. Like Adepticon is one, right? That's a bucket list. You, If you're a wargaming fan in the US, you should go to Adepticon. I mean, it is amazing. Yeah, we call it the, the ner- nerd pilgrimage, right? Nerd pilgrimage, right? Going to Nottingham and, and go to Warhammer World and all that stuff. Those to me is like another one on that bucket list. It's a cool place to come to. I mean, I, I went to university there, so I'm, I'm a little bit biased. I love it. But it's, um, you know, it's got the castle. It's got Warhammer World. It's got everything. It's um, It was a really, really good weekend at them. Well, I'm hoping if I come out, to come out before and have the Clash tournament be the meat in the sandwich, and then I would have a little vacation time before and post to like hang out with people and go to Mantic and you know go go look at some castles and go be Robin Hood. I got to go to Sherwood Forest, right? So <laughs> what what you got to do is go go to Warhammer World first, and then go to Mantic HQ and just mediate your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, and I would be excited just to go there and, uh, you know, um, meet everyone and uh, or meet the people who I haven't met in person that I've known through the show and to see Ronnie and all those guys. So, yeah, it's becoming a, a, a I'm going to try to get some more U.S. players together and maybe try to get a group to go and get an Airbnb or whatever, because I know that it would, we all we have U.S. Masters. There's U.K. Masters. There's Aussie Masters. There's all the clashes. It would be great for us to sort of have one. It's, I could see UK Clash become the global event, right? Where we have, it would be awesome to have one event that where no matter everyone from all over the world, it's not just your country's best players, but it's best, best players from everywhere. In my six games at Clash, I played four players who were from the UK and it was fantastic. 
absolutely loved it and it was yeah see that's so that's so awesome man and, it, and they were all brilliant guys and it was just such a fantastic experience well awesome fellas final question i guess i have for Corey is how do you feel that you beat rob so bad and made it so painless that you're now known as Corey novocaine reynolds all the back rubs i had to give rob during the game he said you made it go down real smooth yeah right. it was it was quick and painless we were both like you know let's go down to the vendor hall now <laughs> Oh, man, that was hilarious. Yeah, go to Adepticon. If you guys are, uh, that's one of the events, you know, that I would say if you're thinking about, I want to do a, a little bit more of a big trip that's a little bit more expensive or whatever, and you love just the hobby, you love miniature gaming on the whole, not just Kings of War, like you just love miniature gaming, right, Corey? You got to go to Adepticon once in your life. It's more than just the Kings of War event, which is great. But yeah, the whole spectacle around it is really impressive. And I, again, we go every couple of years. Uh, it's definitely a repeat trip for us out here. Yeah, it's hard It's hard to do every year, right, for the bank account. It's easier for us because we can drive from here, even though it's like 12 hours, it's still drivable. So, But it's definitely at least go once. It's worth it. Because it's not just the travel cost. That's a tournament that I know. It's like, what am I? What damage am I going to do to my retirement at the vendor hall? Oh heck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like you got to you got to prepare your gird your loins and prepare yourself for that. Thanks, fellas. Uh, as far as army reviews, we've had a bunch. Make sure if you haven't, go and listen to the Empire of Dust army review that was just released a little while ago. Uh, there is uh, it's and all our new army reviews are within the umbrella of. The Clash of King changes. We have Undead ready. We have all sorts of factions. We're going to try to get you these Fast and Furious, these army reviews post-Clash out to you guys over the fall so that come into your next year of tournament planning, you, you will have a resource that you can go and sort of get your sense on what the armies do well. So, But I appreciate you guys coming on. And with that, remember to always keep counter-charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on... Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.